Hello, Link. This is Inyash. Hey, Inyash. This is Steven. Hey, Steven. So what's with the Link name? There are at least two Breath of the Wild references in this reading, and I'll call them both out as we get there. One is, uh, I mean, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be an explicit reference because they're not unique to this to that game, but they're both in that game. So, Okay. Yeah. I, I'm unfamiliar with them because I never played Breath of the Wild, so this will be cool new information for me. Woot. Yes. Uh, so what is it that we're doing? What is this podcasting? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you reminded me. I was totally going to forget to do that part. This is Not Everything is a Clue. The podcaster, Inash, and I analyze Alexander Wales' web serial, Worth a Candle. Um, we have... Uh, I am botching this. Um, yeah. We have a Patreon account if uh, people are interested in supporting the show or if people want to support Alexander Wales directly uh, rather than give you know to us and then have us give 15% to him. Um, also support him on Patreon as well. So, yes. and I'm told that we have uh, some news in that department. We do. We are up to 26 patrons today. So now Stephen has to actually sit down and write this whole thing out. All right. I will commit to getting this finished within two weeks. Or, hmm. I mean, you guys hear this in six days from recording. So I should be able to get this out within a week of when you guys hear this. I will do my... get it written up within a week. We'll still have to like record it and stuff. Yeah. I think that between anyway yeah in the next week or two you guys will get a pitch meeting now that there's 26 we only need 25 i'm wondering who will be the first to drop out as soon as the the news comes down that somebody (laughs) uh although people can probably see on there how many people support the show right i believe so yeah okay yeah so somebody deliberately pushed past the cap so thanks everybody that's insanely awesome um don't know what to say it's it's a a small reward i miss we're like pushing for this to have a goal and everything but i imagine most people uh aren't aren't giving the money for this one <laughs> little audio clip they're doing it just to support us doing this thing yeah and i mean there are bills associated with this um you know enosh has been eating the cost of the cost of hosting the show since he started methods of rationality but i think the main thing for this is uh we use a service called zencaster which I think is 20 bucks a month, but that only gives you 10 hours of post-production per month, which we, as you guys know, quickly go over. Um, and then they charge, I don't know, some dollars per hour afterwards. So yeah. it's awesome to get that stuff covered. You guys all rock. So yep. um, cool. Excellent. Well, let's quickly touch on one uh, from the audience before we dive into it. This is a pretty short one. Uh, Spinagon over in the Discord linked to a, is this a manga or an anime? Hmm. It is a manga. Yes. Uh, called interspecies reviewers, which is, is basically, you know, the book of blood <laughs> except, um, manga. And yeah, there's, there's these guys that go to, or I'm not actually necessarily even sure guys, but there's these reviewers that go to, uh, brothels of various species that exist in this world, like fairies and elves and dwarves and all that. And, uh, I guess it's sort of a uh, sex comedy thing. So it exists in our world too. Which, of course, it does. At least it's uh, only fiction in our world. So we did four chapters this reading. and We did. I think this seems to be a trend, but it, it's also like it, we, we talk more about the first couple of chapters than the last couple of chapters. But it happens just to be the case where more happens in the first couple of ch- or the first chapters, especially. Um, so Sometimes there's been a few times where we've talked a lot about the final chapter. Oh, yeah. I just mean in this one in particular. Okay. I, yeah. I, I, I got to think two-third or maybe at least a third 40 percent of our notes are just for chapter one here so um Mm. all right what happens in chapter 41 truth and reconciliation 
Uh, well, June has to come face to face with the fact that he got really high and doesn't remember anything. And face to face with a pair of half elven titties. Oh yeah. Which he is no longer uh shy about. So uh, I, I threw that in there that uh I think she, I mean so she's like, Oh, you're not uncomfortable with this anymore? And he's like, No, not really. And I was like, Oh, you know, she'll be happy to, to know that now that he's wiser, like his wisdom score is higher, he's past the point where he feels bad for ogling or for oogling boobies. That's true. And maybe he's also, you know, come to understand that Fen doesn't have a problem with it, so he shouldn't either. Probably part of his social score increasing. Totally. I, I'm sorry to keep doing this, Inyash. Do you see those two spikes back about 20 seconds and then back right before your last sentence? There's something that you're that's going on on your side where it's like, or or something. Huh. Um, I, like, how often is this thing happening? It's happening right this second. It's happening right this second? Like, you can see, you can see your audio, right? I can see my audio. Well, I can see my audio, yes, but... I don't see anything happening like that. I wouldn't be nitpicky about it, but it is so loud that it won't be muted by post-production. Hold on. Is it happening right now? Yeah, but that's pretty, that's a quieter version of it. So, um, yes, we were, he's looking at boobies (laughs) (laughs) and we're, we're back in the land of the boobies, which is a great land to be. Yeah. Sorry. We just had some technical issues and we had to. We lost several minutes. We're trying to regain where we were in the talking. And, you know, picking up where we left off, as long as we left off at boobs, isn't a bad place. So, yes, um, I just liked that you probably weren't shy about or that you were happy about the fact that because he was all, you know, self-conscious about it earlier. But now that he's super wise, he's like, oh, I, me as my wise self knows that there's nothing wrong with, you know, ogling some tits as long as it's consensual. So, yeah, yeah, I figured you'd be stoked on that. I am totally stoked about it. It's it's good to see them, you know, having this evolving relationship and him being fitting in more with the culture and, and not being just such a like prudish kind of person. I think it's partly too, just like he's less of like a nervous teenager. He you know he never had like a lot of that energy going on, um, mm-hmm. which is nice because that's like a trope with a lot of like young heroes in Japanese anime uh, where they're honestly just a bunch of screaming crybabies and. <laughs> That it's, I it's swear a, to God, if you say Shinji's name, I am quitting this podcast right now. Thankfully, I don't know who that is. Uh, uh, what? Oh, okay. Who's Shinji? Shinji Yukari is the main character from Neon Genesis Evangelion. Oh, uh, I suspect I probably heard of that, but I don't know what that is. So great. Oh. I, I get to annoy you in another way by having never heard of the thing that you like. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's only probably the most famous anime uh, that has been made mm. in, in terms of series rather than uh, feature length. I will take your word for it. I, I'm not that well versed in anime. I've probably seen a dozen tops, yeah. but you'd think I would have seen the most popular one, but no Kenshin, oh. Fullmetal Alchemist, Berserk, the other Berserk. I mean, most popular, not just in the huge amounts of watching that it had, but just in the effects that it had on the entire anime genre uh, afterwards. Like it changed things. Ah, well, Good. I'm glad that uh, one thing that didn't carry over to all the things I like is the crybaby protagonist. Uh, but he wasn't a crybaby protagonist. That's why. Oh, I was, that's why I was saying if you say his name, I will quit this podcast right now because the 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 stock phrases get in the giant robot Shinji uh, and people call him a whiny bitch, and they just radically misunderstand 
everything that this series is about if they say that, and it makes me want to punch people. But this is not an, a show talking about an anime series you've never seen. It's a show talking about a um, web fiction that you haven't read all the way yet. So That's we should right. get back to that. We will. Yeah. All right. So um, the only main downside of him waking up to you know in bed with a half-naked elf chick is that he doesn't remember his fun trip, which is a drag. It's a super drag. I think I mentioned this before uh, on this podcast where like I've, I've gotten blacked out a few times. And it, at that point, like it feels like, why did you even bother? Because it's been erased from your timeline. It doesn't exist for you. Like sometimes people say, oh, you must have had a great time. Not a lot of fun. Then. And I'm like, fuck, I don't know. I, as far did. as I know, it didn't happen. Yeah. yeah. But also like it's kind of scary because you, you don't know what you did. It sort of feels like something else was controlling your body for that time period. And that something else is very strongly based on me, so I guess that's a little bit of a relief, but also my body was out there walking around doing things, and I don't have any recollection of it, and that's that's kind of a bummer, man. Comedian John I, I really Mulaney. think that... You what? I'll go ahead. No, I really think that humans, instead of going blackout, should just go unconscious when they get to that point. <laughs> the stupid thing to, to keep working, even though your brain can't deform these memories. Yeah, John Mulaney has some stand-up sketches on uh blackout drunk he used to have a lot of alcohol issues and uh i i'll summarize it to just one joke where he says that after being blackout drunk enough he he could he'd have to ask himself a question that only he and steve urkel that only blackout drunks and steve urkel can ask did i do that (laughs) awesome (laughs) i kind of surprised me he always strikes me as such a wholesome like you know Clark, Clark Kent kind of a person. Uh, I mean, he's everyone's complicated. He, he's he's yeah. uh, he's an interesting character. Um, I could honestly, if I wasn't doing this podcast or any of the other ones, I could be doing one about stand up in general and in, and some comics in particular. I love comedy, but cool. alas, we keep talking about things that aren't this book. So, right uh, back to this, back back to this. Um, so I guess yeah, he wakes up. Uh, Fen says that he said stuff whilst drunk. Or while mm. tripping and uh, won't tell him what it is. Um, very mean. Very mean. She won't even tell us, which is extremely mean. Yeah. Uh, I get that she can't look to the camera and talk like June can, but come on. You know, you think she could find some way. If she, if she was really the protagonist, she would find a way to tell us. <laughs> but that's the whole twist of the book. We don't know she's the protagonist yet, right? I guess. Um, so... Let's see. Oh, they have some conversation about uh, he's like, okay, well, I'm kind of confused about what happened. You know, why am I naked or whatever? And he just basically is like, well, I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, what happened. And she just doesn't read around the bush. She's like, wait, did I rape you while you were high in unicorn blood? No. Come on. You know me better than that. Um, Yeah. So uh, honestly, I, you know, I, I don't know what counts as, you know, consensual uh, on air. I mean, I, I know in broad strokes what it probably consists of but i'm thinking like if he asked drunkenly hey can i fondle your tits and she's like sure you know i don't think that (laughs) i don't know if that would be considered wrong there um Mm -hmm. so so that may well have happened but yeah i guess uh you know he's he's uh probably still in the clear there so if Uh, nothing else we know that uh fen believes that uh both consent is important and you can't meaningfully give consent when you're that high so uh so that's the thing we know about her now and about Arab culture. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, thank God we at least know that uh, rape is a crime you can be convicted of on Arab. Um, if, they, if they just didn't have a crime for it, that'd be a whole other set of nightmares. Um, yeah. There was uh, so 
there there was the kind of you know for a moment she's just like you said some things while you were trip you know while you were high and he's like oh dear and i was you know briefly worried that he had said something you know mean or scary or something and i i don't like the i was drunk i didn't mean it defense i don't really buy that but mm-hmm. uh i wondered if magic drugs might be an exception however i do think that he probably said mostly extremely nice things and i'll yeah. i'll make that point later when we get some evidence for it hmm, okay i i i guess we don't really have evidence for him being a nice drunk one way or the other, but since I like him, I would like to think that of him. I guess I I don't need to wait for it. My evidence is that her loyalty went up six points. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Which, yeah, probably would not have happened if he's a mean drunk. And I'm not sure when the last time he looked at her loyalty was, but, you know, it's a safe bet that it happened at some point in the last day. Um, Yeah. Oh, you know... I suppose it could have happened during the unicorn fight, but I don't really see how, you know, he didn't do anything particularly loyal to Fenn during that, but that would have been another possibility of like, you know, a huge jump and stuff. Right. It'd been interesting if like, he like gives her one compliment and it somehow gets multiplied a million times and (laughs) he gets six loyalty points off it. (laughs) Yeah. Nice shot, Fenn. Um, (laughs) Exactly. So Fenn was tasked with, uh, taking care of him while he's high, uh, you know, being his trip sitter, basically. And Grack is tasked with taking care of Mary. And Grack does not have a lot of patience for this sort of thing, so eventually he just puts a ward around her to keep her from running off, and another ward to muffle the sound. Which is hilarious, but kind of mean, too. Like, you just wall up your toddler because you're tired of dealing with them. But, you know, I I thought it it was funny. It was totally a Grack moment. And it also made me think that, like, you could easily, if you had a warder, just make prisons completely un- inescapable unless you had some sort of magic to, to, to get around a skin ward with. Yeah, I don't know what the, um, you know, the limits are on skin wards. Like if it's just all the skin until the warder decides it's done or if you can't actually just brute force it by throwing enough bodies at it, kind of like uh, Thanos raiding Wakanda in Infinity War um, or his Legion mm-hmm. anyway. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was just the fact that he he got sick of taking care of her, but more just like, how do I keep her safe? She Her legs are longer than mine. I can't keep up with her. She's a danger to herself when she's running around naked. She could trip and break her neck. Like That's um, true. You know, I, I, I feel like this is a kind of responsible way to deal with her. And as long as the, he didn't put her in too small of a cage, then it's like, all right, you can still run in circles. Like, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was, uh, uh, oh, yeah, you pulled out the bit about him worried about his uh, blackout quote. Um, I think we talked about this a bit, but there was still more here. Um, oh, that she, she says she doesn't want to talk about it right now. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah. He, he's trying to apologize for like, he doesn't know what he did, but you know, whatever it is. Uh, and if I said something or tried something, I mean, he's trying to apologize for maybe having done something inappropriate. Cause he doesn't even know what, uh, what he may have done. And Fenn says that she doesn't want to talk about it. Let's just say that I've been on the other side of that fence once or twice though gladly never to the extent I couldn't handle myself. And I think I may be having another one of those moments, like when I didn't understand Grack was saying, don't sleep with Fen, where I'm just not getting something because I'm not socially smart in that respect or what, but I, I'm not, I don't understand what she's saying here. Like, is she saying that she's been in the position of being out of control and acting badly or in the position of propositioning others who didn't, weren't receptive to those advances or like, what exactly is it that she's been on the other fence of? 
It's ambiguous. I mean, it could be that, uh, you know, she's saying maybe I've been drunk before or high on stuff before um, and done stupid things. Uh, okay. Although, that seems like the most reasonable interpretation. Yeah, though the quote, though gladly never to the extent that I couldn't handle myself, I mean, yeah. kind of negates that whole thing because, I mean, we have no idea. She calls uh, High June Cooniper. I can't remember why. Um, was it Unicorn Juniper? Was that what it came from? I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, she got she got some Cooniper joke in there. Um, it may just be that K is after J, so he's like, you know, the next iteration of Juniper. When he's oh, high. yeah. So there, she explained it at some point. Um, she just says, let's call him Cooniper. Yeah. Uh, oh, we'll move a letter down the alphabet every time you get hopped up on the blood of a different animal. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so she won't say what they talked about. But she does say that, you know, yeah, you talked a lot about Dungeons and Dragons for 20 minutes. You talked about something about the candle invocation. And I thought that was fun because, like, I mean, when I'm, that's why I don't like the, uh, you know, I was drunk. I didn't mean a defense. You know, maybe some people are drunk differently than me, but I suspect not just maybe I'm typical minding, but when I'm drunk, I'm just more me. Uh, mm-hmm. like I, I tend to be, uh, believe it or not more talkative. Um, <laughs> and I remembered once I was like at a bar and they had like this really short fence that I stepped over to, uh, talk to somebody on the other side of. And I was going to step back over and the bouncer was like, Hey, I'm really sorry. You got to come way back in line. Uh, you know, you can't just go back over the fence. And I probably spent somewhere between 10 and 60 seconds telling him like, Oh man, that's totally fine. I get it. It's just your job. Like, I know you're not trying to ruin anyone's night. Uh, it's like, that's the kind of drunk I am. And so hmm. I, I would probably definitely just sit and ramble about boring shit <laughs> to, to uh, talk people's ears off about games and whatever. If I was on unicorn blood. Also, Inyash and I don't have a bet, but I'm challenging people. If you guys hear weird audio artifacts, I think they're coming from the fancy mics. So um, something set up over there. And if you guys hear it when this episode comes out, tell me so I can be vindicated. Otherwise, I'm hearing things. Yes, um, please let us know. <laughs> anyway, Fen wraps up and says that it was a fun time for all involved, which is, you know. Uh, oh, also, I was curious because she's like, okay, we need to talk about it in the morning. I'm tired. I don't know what time they went down for. Uh, sounds like you're having a doggy attack. But we can power through. Yeah, um, yeah, you can you can hear everything with this mic. So I was curious how long this this trip lasted for everybody because Amaryllis is already composed and she's got coffee out in the living room and he's just coming too. But he you know took his drug thirty seconds after she did. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that she's been cleaned up for an hour. But Fen's all like, "Oh no, it's middle of the night. I'm tired." And didn't they like go to the forest during the day? So I think it lasted longer than four hours. So I'm wondering what to read into that. If we're going to just climb the ladder of, you know, how much is the DM messing with us? I assume it lasted somewhere between one and four hours. And then he fell asleep and it is a number of hours later because he slept off. Oh, I guess that makes sense. I figured he kind of just came to as soon as it was over. I no, Yeah. I I mean, your explanation solves my quandary completely. He finished being high and then passed out right at the end of it. So yeah. Okay. Or maybe even while he was still, you know, kind of high, but coming down. Yeah. All right. Well, that makes sense. Um, so she says, uh, um, Hey, look, I need to get some sleep. Can we talk about it in the morning? And he says, sure. Oh, she says, um, it is nice to have my juniper back and Hmm. it makes, it makes his cheeks grow warm at the possessive my juniper. Yeah. And it's I, very I, cute. I said, Inyash will like that. Yes. Uh, also, there was another fun thing. Uh, he's so he's putting on some clothes so he can go out 
I guess to look for food because, you know, being that high is hungry work and he's worked up an appetite. Um, and you notice that all of his snake tattoos are gone. And I just had to call this out because it seems like Cooniper is a gentle animal lover who wants all the snakes to run or slither free in the woods. Oh, what a nice guy. I think that's adorable. Um, I wonder, are the snakes created ex nilo? Like, does it bring a snake from somewhere else? Or does it just make a snake that's mature right when he pulls it out of his tattoo? Does Aguamente drain a lake somewhere? Or does it generate water? You know, I think yeah. I think it makes snakes. I guess so. It'd be, uh, yeah, they, they must start out with some sort of initial programming. So they aren't just kind of, you know... Y- y- like if you were just born out of an egg, you you don't quite know what you're doing as a snake, right? Maybe I'm move overly anthropomorphizing these snakes. They're snakes. probably just a bundle of reflexes and and instincts. Well, and I think some reptiles. I mean, they're they're ready to rock and roll the second they hatch. I mean, there's those cool uh, uh, Planet Earth videos where it's like these lizards they they hatch and the first thing they do is make a run for it because they're being chased by snakes. And like, oh, wow. it's, it's literally they're like, welcome to earth jackass. And they're being chased by these giant snakes <laughs> and being thrown out of a plane. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, they, they might just be, you know, maybe they come out with, with a, whatever the equivalent of adult snake intelligence is or, or baby snake intelligence. But another thing to think about too, is I guess, as long as you have a, uh, tattoo pen or tattoo gun and ink and whatever, like you've also got unlimited food. Um, mm-hmm. not a lot, but depending on how big the snake is, uh, you know, I, I don't suspect they'll ever run into like, oh my god, we're all going to starve to death problems as long as they've got the uh, the tattoo gun, right? I, I I mean, they're they're gonna make snakes and keep all the bones and eat all the food. Um, yeah, this it's a uh, it's a weird world they live in. <laughs> um, so this is where I think his uh, his loyalty went up because he's trying to think about like the bluntest possible true thing he might have said to Fen. And he winces because he's like, oh, no, this would be, you know, uh, I guess so embarrassing or, or just too much to say or something. But I, it's like, oh, I think you're pretty and sexy and fun. And I'm sort of a little bit in love with you. And I asked the one true God of this place to make you real in case you weren't already because you're also my best friend. Um, I think he probably said something to that effect. And that, you know, hugely bolstered her loyalty. It could have been something like that. I, I hope uh, we better, better get some answers about something that happened when they were all high. That's better not just be like a noodle incident. They never explain, you know, through the rest of the story, but, uh, there, there, maybe there's not that much interesting that happened. You know, if, if I correctly filled in that gap, that's about probably the most interesting part. Uh, yeah, but something, something he'll ask her about those loyalty points eventually. Um, and you know, it's not necessarily always that interesting hearing about someone else's trip. Like it's, it's really fun <laughs> when you're going through it. But then when someone else is telling you, you're like, uh-huh, okay. And then the crack started talking to you. All right. Yeah, clouds moved, huh? Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, nothing, so, nothing too exciting there. Yeah. Eventually, June makes his way into the living room where Amaryllis is there. And as you said, she was making coffee. And she's wearing a t-shirt that says, Born to Bone on it. Because because Ben controls her wardrobe now since it's all inside the glove. I think that's amazing. So A, the fact that you chuckled seems like that's a pun that you can get behind because that is wordplay. Or is not all wordplay I, puns. Not all wordplay is puns. But okay, so I Funny guess there is, is some... Jokes. No, I, I guess there's some controversy in the, the Wikipedia article on puns. If, if a word that is a homophone counts. Um, I personally don't think homophones counts as puns. That's just wordplay. 
It's when you're like, oh, this word sounds like a different word. Isn't that funny that I'm like, no, there's lots of words that sounds like different words. That's not funny. Like uh, if you actually have the same, the same word meaning two different things, that's a little bit better. Gotcha. Yeah, fair enough. I feel like we're going to bring up puns at least once per episode now. We're contractually <laughs> obligated. Um, I, I'm going to refine my pun position until it's something that... I don't know, it can be actually defensible. Uh, and, and I can say, this is objectively not funny, rather than just like, I don't, it doesn't fit my aesthetic. Yeah, at some point, this will actually become produ- like a productive conversation where we work out the, you know, the truth of humor here. So, um. <laughs> And finally, the, the people will come and listen to the podcast that crack the secret of humor. That's right. Uh, you know, so I, I had to just think that if I were Amaryllis, I would have threatened to revoke investiture of Sable if I didn't get my clothes back. Like, all she has to do is just think the thought, like, that's mine again, right? Right. But I, you know, I think she gets that Fen is just having fun, like making a joke. It makes Fen feel a little bit better. And it's not worth blowing up a relationship over something that she's doing to relieve stress. And like, also, honestly, maybe Amaryllis kind of thinks it's fun, too. And now she has the excuse of, you know, oh, it's Fen doing it. So I am still a serious person. And, and she can be in on the joke without losing her, her facade of very seriousness. That's a good point. I like that. And it, it adds some depth to Amaryllis if she does have a sense of humor that she's allowing herself to indulge in because she can do it with the plausible deniability. Yeah. All right. I got to just but, say, yeah. look back. You see those noises, right? Because you oh, weren't shit. talking the I whole time. I just touched the screen now. Not oh, a huge deal. I was talk- I so just, I, the whole time that I was talking, there was noises? No, no. Uh, I mean, some for the last several minutes. I'm just going to own it for the rest of the episode. It's not a big deal. You saw it, that, it right? Does, no, it does not show up on my screen. It shows up on mine, and and you're, you, it doesn't show up on your Audacity either? Uh, no. Maybe it won't show up in the final episode then. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I can take a screen cap so I know that I'm not insane, and I can just show you this later, but... Uh, all right. Well, that screen cap doesn't prove anything. Whatever. All right. Well, sorry. I mean, it still kind of sucks because it distracts you and makes it harder for you to hear me. Meh. I can live with it. Mm. I, I, I right, will we'll be curious if it shows up in the final cut, though. We All definitely right. want to hear from people listening to this episode if you heard, like, what what does it sound like? You said, like, something rubbing the microphone? Staticky, sort of? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'll you'll be able to tell when you cut out one of these timestamps. The first one you listen to, you'll be like, oh, there it is. Or, oh, no, it didn't save. Great. So. All right. Jumping back in. Sorry about that. Yes, so uh, they're going to have a discussion about boning and or trust and holding <laughs> things back. Yeah. I'm not sure which one you wanted to go to here. Um, I, 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 a, I like the, uh, um, like you said, about the, the plausible deniability to engage in humor for herself. And I guess it's the case, too, that when they do flee and you know they happen to bump into somebody, there wasn't an opportunity for her to say, give me my real clothes. You know, if it came down to like, uh, hey, I need my real shit. And then Fen's like, no, nah, I don't think so. I like you wearing a stupid shirt instead. Then it's time to pull out the threat, right? But mm. when it's just hanging out at home, you know, fine, give me a funny shirt. Uh, yeah, I, I could dig it. Um, yeah. Anyway, this part was just funny. Uh, so Amaryllis turned to the fire and watched it for a bit as it crackled away. We need to talk about the future. And he says, the future of you and me? No, she turned God. to me and raised an eyebrow like as a complete idiot, which might have been fair. And <laughs> like, I can I can feel the burning embarrassment. And he doesn't yeah. even dwell on that so much. But like, it's, man, it was just like, oh, God. You know, like, you, you remember in junior high or whatever, some, this happens in every movie too, a pretty girl waves and you wave back and then look over your shoulder and she's waving to somebody right behind you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I had something 
kind of like that possibly even more mortifying happened to me. And I'm not going to talk about it because no one will ever know my secret shame. You don't have but, to. But yeah, I absolutely go. Oh, oh, man. Oh, poor fucking June at this point. Yeah. I mean, I think we've all been there. We can all relate. But yeah. no, it's uh, she's like, no, the future of the group, like what we're what we are going to do collectively. And he's like, oh, yeah, no shit. Um, also, I mean, maybe cunning. Wait, cunning is a stat, not a skill, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, maybe you don't get critical fails on cunning. Uh, you get critical fails on skills. But yeah, um, that seems like the kind of thing to where uh, if, if it was the kind of thing where you could where you could fail at, he would have failed at cunning for missing that. <laughs> um, so apparently Emeril has learned from Fen that June wants to find the lost king and he just jumps right into it. She, he's like, yeah, uh, that's true. By the way, did you know that he was dream skewered? And she just very nonchalantly says, I suspected even before I met you, I suspected. And uh, that's kind of intense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, apparently this is like a scholarly theory out there, but it's not widely disseminated uh, or widely accepted either. I do kind of wonder what if it would be a bombshell to like the world if this was proven beyond a reasonable doubt and spread to the public. Like, is there some I don't know what it would even mean. I guess I'm assuming the the common public perception of Dream Skewered, if anyone who even knows about them, is that they're just crazy. You know, they're yeah. they're they're people. Who, oh, those poor people who got mind whammied, right? So to learn that, uh, whatever Alexander the Great or Plato was, you know, clinically, you know, fully insane, um, hmm. might might be a bit of a blow to people. You know, who take that person seriously, but wouldn't really change anything. Know, like- after I mean, fact. famously, Alexander the Great, we were not taught in school that he was probably gay. And uh, I learned much later when it became, you know, a, a thing that the, a, you know, a movement to be like, who in history was gay? Let's stop lying to kids because we want to hide this up. Uh, it, it didn't really change anything, though. Like, this guy lived 500 years ago in, in this world. Alexander the Great was 2000 something years ago. Like, it just it doesn't change all that much aside from like, Oh, okay. Well, there we go. At, at the only thing it could really have an effect on is more people accepting dream skewered people as not just crazy loonies, but maybe people who can live a normal life and be kind of, uh, kind of useful to society, kind of like the same way it worked out with gays. So I don't see a downside necessarily. Yeah. On not- the other hand, maybe like, you know, if you find out that someone you really admire in the past was a secret pedophile, that might make things bad. I just don't think that dream being dream skewered is like a moral failing. Yeah, me either. I guess I was thinking like, you know, if I learned that Plato earnestly believed that he was from Mars, you know, I'd be like, oh, so he's insane. Um, but I think I, I think I could easily swallow that pill and be like, well, you know, he says some smart stuff, whether or not he thinks he was, you know, that his, you know, blood was gold and not actual blood and that he lived on Mars or something, right? Well, I mean, famously, Newton was really into all sorts of crazy shit, alchemy and all kinds of things that were just nuts. So Galileo, oh, man, Galileo had all sorts of crazy shit. And he just happened to be right about the 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 earth going around the sun almost on accident. <laughs> and, and, you know, you learn that and you're like, oh, OK, so really smart people that come up with good ideas can also be kind of crazy on the side. That's whatever. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, we don't, we don't have a figure in our society like like Uther or maybe maybe the honest or the the average muggle on Arab doesn't really care about who Uther was. Right. Like mm. we do because we think he's Arthur and the party does because one of them is the heir to the throne. But like, you know, it's 
if I learned my neighbor was descended from George Washington, I wouldn't give a shit. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, that doesn't really strike me as maybe that's how everyone feels about, uh, you know, that King that might've existed 500 years ago. They're just living their lives, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, there was another line that I had to pull out and then I'll give you a chance to talk and give myself a chance to breathe. Um, cause she's, she's explaining that, Oh yeah. You know, there, there were signs, you know, and once you have an idea in your head, it's hard to get out everything starts to look like evidence of it. And mm-hmm. I just, I put in that, that camel sponge case. I'm like, Oh, everything is a clue. Exactly. <laughs> now she knows how you feel. I get it. Yeah. But that's a very common, very common thing where you start seeing it everywhere. It, that <laughs> I, I wanted to point this out that, um, I believe it was June who says this. I didn't keep the attribution, uh, thinks, uh, if he, if, Uther was dream skewered. Like nobody really knows. It's just a speculation that certain scholars are kind of pulling together that kind of forming their own headcanon may or may not be true. And, and he's thinking like, so he never told anyone and he would have had to go his entire life without letting on to anyone, even those close to him. He would have had to be a nearly perfect liar. And I'm just thinking like, I don't know, what are the implications of that? Is is Arthur the new Cornus Coral or something? <laughs> um, I guess there's a few things there. On the one hand, uh, well, I guess first it was Amaryllis who said that. I think not um, not June. So okay. it gives it gives some lensing on the the perspective there. I don't think that being a perfect liar is necess- like a a sufficient condition for being a a, a bad person. Um, yeah. It's it's a necessary condition for being a Voldemort probably. Uh, but it's not a sufficient condition. Like it, we, I suspect, especially cause you know, we know that he traveled with, uh, whatever traveling circus or whatever. Um, he put a bunch of skills into social and, you know, acting is basically just the same thing as being a perfect actor or a, a perfect liar. Um, right. So it's, his whole life was pretend. Um, so yeah, I mean the fact that he did manage to go, I don't know how long his reign was, but yeah, he did manage to go the whole time without, uh, I guess slipping up enough to let people know. Um, like Amarillo said, some things made it into, made it into the books about you know anachronisms maybe or uh, sim- and like like June guesses like similar stories that all seem like they're plagiarized from a whole culture. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, I I don't think it makes him a bad person. You know, he's just kind of doing what he had to do to survive. And if you're playing the role of the best king ever, you're like you know, I bet he had kind of a coming to terms with it moment where he's like, well, I guess this is my life now. Um, I'll uh, just embrace it and run with it. So I feel like that would have been an an intensely lonely existence to not even tell the people you're closest to that you're secretly from another world. Well, they could have kept the secret, right? If they kept Mm. the secret, we wouldn't know that he didn't, that he told anybody. Sure. Maybe maybe he did tell his closest confidants. I guess I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure. It's possible. I, I kind of feel that any secret you really want to keep, you should never tell anyone. Oh, totally. But but I wonder in 500 years, if June really asks his party, like, Hey, can you not tell them that I'm from earth or whatever, that, you know, all, I don't know what I, I suspect that when June's story is over, air will be a radically different place or cease to exist or something. But if, uh, if it was a sort of Uther thing, he might be able to ask people who are very loyal to him. Hey, can you please not tell people about my backstory? And then yeah. no one, no one knows about it. 
I mean, I could totally see everyone right now that knows Juniper like keeping the secret and just keeping it between themselves and keeping it locked down tight. But I mean, the bigger question is how long does that possibly last for? Like, we still have people's entire lives, 60 years going on. People, someone, one of his friends might let something slip, maybe gets high on unicorn blood again. Uh, it's possible that he could have a severe falling out with uh, with somebody, and then they might say that to to defame him, to get back at him, you know, let it out that he's this dream-skewered person. Like, it's, that's a lot of, if you tell anyone, you're making a lot of bets on the future. Yeah, as long as they go the rest of their lives, though, without spilling the beans, then, uh, you know, it works out. Um, anyway, uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, I, you know, I, I pulled out a bunch of quotes here, but I don't really want to read every quote that I pulled out. Just, I, there, th- basically June's mad because he's finally like, all right, now I get to pop the lid on the, uh, latent anger I've been feeling about, you know, when I learned that she kept the, the luck thing from me, like what else he been keeping from me? And, mm-hmm. uh, so He's like, oh, so th- you know, then you met me and realized that you could, uh, you know, manipulate me by by telling me about the lost king at some point in the future. And uh, I think through his anger, he he doesn't realize in this chapter. I don't. Maybe he does, and I uh, didn't highlight it. But um, he keeps saying, like, you know, I had a right to know. He was my best friend in the world, and he meant everything to me. And she says, I I didn't know that. You know, I yeah. I thought there was some connection, but and you know, it's. Uh, it's one of those things like, you know, he's mad. And so he's, he doesn't want to be, we've all been angry. You know, when you, when you want to stay angry, you, you can keep fueling the fire. And when she's very calmly putting it out, he's like, nope, nope, not gonna let you finish that sentence. Uh, I want to stay pissed. Um, it's, uh, uh, it was just intense. Um, yeah, there was, was, there was one. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think you might be touching on the same thing I'm going to be touching on here that, um, when they were getting into it, uh, he says her mask was starting to break and um, that like the mask of the calm, confident, always, you know, in, in control, Amaryllis, and that alarm and surprise were seeping out from behind it. But I couldn't trust that either because maybe it was just part of the ploy, part of her plan to get me to get back on track, which I don't know. Like once you start doubting somebody and you can't trust them necessarily because you suspect they might be manipulating you. Yeah, you do start getting kind of paranoid. Like maybe what if what if the emotions she's feeling right now, she's not actually feeling. It's just another ploy to to control me. Because half of Harry was eleven years old and not seventeen. Uh, sorry to be ageist, but uh, after Azkaban, and he saw Quirrell, you know, flawlessly pretends to be his his demurred minion, and then flawlessly pretends to be um, whoever he was to that pretended healer. Uh, mm-hmm. He was like, you know, who who is he really? You know, Quirrell even says, like, you know, we could, the likes of you and I can be whoever we want. And he doesn't really think about, like, you know, he, I think he has the thought, is Professor Quirrell another mask? But he never really does anything with that. Um, mm-hmm. There were other forces at play, too, you know, the the sense of kinship and stuff. But, yeah, yeah you know, if if you learned that somebody that you thought you trust, that you that you previously trusted, kept a perfect deception on you. And this wasn't even that big of a deception, but it was something, right? No, um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was, it was a deception, but I mean, it doesn't feel like a perfect deception the same way where 
Quirrell was like at the end, he's, when he asked like, who are you deep down at the beginning? I think he said, I've forgot. Like I've been so many people. I don't even remember who, who I was originally. Or how many I've been, how many people I've been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and all she did was like not be fully forthcoming during their probably limited times to talk about, uh, you know, how many times did they talk about uh, the lost King? We only saw yeah. it on screen once. Right. So, right. you know, could she, could she have brought it up later when they're, you know, montaging during that that time in the hotel room probably but mm-hmm. you know why would she just bring it up at that point so it was like ah, oh, you know maybe i'll I'll think about it if anything else comes up i'll bring it up i think he's just he's upset um but there was the the line where um he says so y- you said nothing because you wanted me to be easier to control and she says is that what you think of me her mask was breaking now alarm and surprise seeping up from behind it. But I couldn't trust that either. Cause maybe that was part of the ploy, part of her plan to get me back on track. Like you'd said. And then I was just thinking like Coral's masks all the way down. And I wanted to just, so we kind of said this, but my, my last thought here that I needed to articulate was, do I think the same of Amaryllis? And I literally wrote the word sigh. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't know. You know, I, I also really wanted Quirrell to be good so much that I lost money betting that he wasn't at Voldemort. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, at this point though, we don't have evidence of her being a bad person. We have never talked about, or at least not at length, what she did to end up on that plane. Um, you know, she says that someone pulled some strings to, you know, make it seem like I plausibly committed a crime or something, which sounds plausible. Her relatives seem like assholes, but, uh, and they have, good, point, they have a good incentive to kill her. But I wonder yeah, if she- at this point, I'm assuming it's Larkspur since he was the one who sent the uh, team after her to kill her and the one who was searching for her now, presumably to finish the job. Like, I think he's been trying to get her assassinated for whatever political purposes. Yeah, but to do it through the courts, you know, somebody had to, I'm assuming there's some judge involved or some facsimile thereof where you sentence somebody to be thrown out of the plane into the risen lands. You know, if... I, I get he's trying to kill her. You know, he probably tried to poison her a bunch or whatever, but you know, having a hired hand stab her in the middle of the night is different than getting a judge to believe that, uh, or at least plausibly say that she committed a crime one heinous enough to be sent to the zombie land. Uh, I wonder if she actually committed a serious crime. Maybe she did bad stuff. Hmm. Um, you know, I, I, they, they never, they never even talked about what she was pretended to have been convicted of or actually convicted of. Right. Like, did she yeah, do no, it or did they heard. say she did it? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, they, I kind of, you know, I got the, with the the whole thing that you brought up, I, it just kind of reinforces that we're sort of stuck in our own heads. Like the whole, um, the whole solipsism thing of, do I even know if anyone else exists? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I, I, I think it's a stupid thing to think about very much, but it does kind of lead you back to like, you, you can't ever truly know anyone i mean maybe you can but also in in theory you could also never truly know some people if they want to hold certain things back and maybe they are lying to you from the very beginning maybe your parents aren't really your parents and they actually secretly hate you or whatever like at some point all you can do is just kind of trust that what people are putting out is what they really are and only update against that if you see some compelling evidence that they're lying cheats or whatever yeah you know i i think it was superman and probably a hundred other people who said sometimes you've got to take a leap of faith and the trust comes after um you know it's at this point you know there's not a lot of 
sense in just saying I can't trust anybody because it could all be a lie because that's all true. But you know, if you're going to cooperate with other people, you know, unless you're unless you're quarrel, you need to work with other people. You know, the thing that the thing that fucks me up about it is that like, not only does this mean that I can't ever truly know anyone else, but also that means other people can't ever truly know me fully either, right? Like in the end, we're all kind of alone. Yeah, and just it's. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know if it makes us alone. It just means that there there's always this this gap, right? Um, at least for now, one day we'll have mind melting and we can put all this business behind us <laughs> and explain right. to our descendants that, like, oh yeah, before we just had to talk to each other with with sounds and just believe each other. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so one day we'll have either perfect lie detection or. It's not even lie detection. It's just more like, you know, I'm, I'm communicating a thought to you, Inyash, and to the people listening. And I know what I'm trying to say. And I think mm-hmm. you're picking up what I'm putting down, but I can only be pretty sure, you know, unless yeah. we spend forever nitpicking to the bottom of it. Um, you know, shorthanding those messages uh, just means that I have to just say, hey, you know what? I'm pretty sure you got enough of it. Let's keep rolling. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, a couple more quotes I wanted to pull out here. Um she says that revealing state secrets is a crime punishable by death in Anglican. And this does back up my idea that the whole deep state empire is in on the elf bone business. Uh, mm. You know, if, if no one knew about it, if no one in the empire, if it wasn't like secret empire endorsed, then it wouldn't be a, a state secret, right? It would just be a thing that Larkspur and Amaryllis knew about. Uh, oh, well, yeah, I, I always assumed that this was deep state stuff. Oh, I, oh yeah. So when we talked about it last episode, I think there was some ambiguity when I had said that like this was legal. I guess what I meant by legal is that uh, Larkspur wouldn't get in trouble for doing it. That he that he had sign off from his bosses, not that yeah, he had I mean, sign off from the public. Uh, you know, this is an empire, right? <laughs> they don't need right. the public. Um, so anyway, I, I was just thinking about that. And then there was, uh, um, I think. As they're kind of just winding down, he just asks, like, did did he ever mention me? Because she's like, what do you want to know? Yeah. And Him being uh, uh, Arthur at this point. Right. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, every time Arthur gets brought up in these contexts, is, uh hits me emotionally um, deeply, which I like because other stuff in the story doesn't. Like you mentioned, you know, how cute and happy you were in the notes. We'll get there about how he and Tiff, you know, start off and all that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I... Literally doesn't blip on my radar, but this Arthur business sure does. And mm-hmm. all we know is that even Amaryllis, who didn't even know about this connection until, you know, an hour ago or something, um, the fact that, uh, you know, Arthur, I should just say Arthur instead of Uther or Arthur, um, the fact that, that Arthur planted lots of juniper trees is just a thing known about him. And that's like, I don't know, super touching. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Anyway. Um, she does say that as far as she knows, he never like said his name or wrote it down and there aren't any cleverly coded references that she knows of. And, uh, she asks like, if you do find a cleverly coded reference, are you going to trust that I didn't know about it? And he says, no, why would I like, she, she held things from him before and there's no reason to trust that she wouldn't keep doing it. And, I was just like, that was a big oof for me. Like, oh man, their their relationship took a pretty big hit because of this. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of being obstinate here. Because again, you know, she didn't lie about this. He didn't ask her straight up and then learn later that she had lied to him. Mm-hmm. And she, she does calmly articulate that, look, I've never, to my knowledge, uh, lied to you. 
you know, there, maybe I didn't tell you everything, but that's not the same thing. And, you know, there are contexts where like carefully concealing information is the same thing as lying as far as I'm concerned, but this doesn't even fit that. And it's like, no, I wasn't fully forthcoming because I had no idea it was relevant. You know, like what, what difference does it make if I thought yeah. that that's how this worked? Um, anyway, uh, there was, um, so now we get to the teleportation pad. That's right. Uh, so this this was really cool because, I mean, you can at least I can I can feel the tension when she is like, "Do you have any idea how scary it would be for me to hand this to you?" Like mm-hmm. this this is the the get out of here card. Um, I for some reason I don't know I did not feel any of that tension. Um, I just I didn't. I, I didn't think that he would use it and just warp out of there because, like, he doesn't really have anything invested in in this life on this not this planet, planet this plane. Like, it, it still feels like a game, I guess, sort of to me, and I'm assuming to him. And so, like, I, I don't. It doesn't feel to me like, oh yeah, I could just fuck off and he's going to pop out. Like, I didn't have that tension. With, no, with but that. I mean, I, I wasn't worried that he would leave. I get why I, I feel Amaryllis's worry. Um, okay, like. You know, because she doesn't know, and we don't learn yet until you know until he goes back through it that it doesn't let him go back to Earth. Um, yeah. You know, she thought that if you know she let him drive, like you know, hey, next time we jump, I'll let you do the quantum leaping for us. Well, I guess a there's no point in going anywhere he's been, but b like there's what if there's a tab on the interface that says Earth, right? Uh, yeah, and he could go back to Kansas. Um, it turns out that there's not, which is cool, and it also we we learn how this thing works. Uh, this again, was this lying on her part? That sounds like another reason for him to pretend to be pissed, but he's really just upset about the Arthur business, but this is the same level of, of dishonesty. She's like, you thought that I pictured a place and that's where it took us. If I had been there before, right? Well, it's different. It's a, it's a green line that traces my history that I can follow backwards. And that's the first breath of the wild thing. Uh, master mode has that option on the map. Um, where it literally traces back every single step you've taken. Yeah. Uh, and it it plays it by fast i think you can go forward and yeah you can scroll the time and it puts little red x's where you died um it's really handy when you're trying to find everything in the game because you're like oh okay i haven't been to the top of this mountain yet uh okay maybe it's on the base game but i know it was in master mode um anyway so that was fun uh and that's exactly how this thing works except you can't use the green line in breath of the wild to fast travel you use other stuff um Presumably, and I think June's probably right that this interface is how the fast travel system would work if the game didn't, you know, give him the finger and tell him he couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the the first idea when he was like, "Oh, you thought it might show Earth," I was like, "Oh man, that's fucking heavy." Because then what? That's the thing is like, what if it did? That would be in the mm-hmm. back of his head the whole time. That's exactly what she says, right? Yeah. Um, it's just uh, it's awesome. So. In an effort that I'm amazed, again, the game doesn't keep track of his loyalty, but I feel like her handing him the teleportation device and say, here, right? You could leave this. You could ruin my everything right now if you felt like it. I'm willing to take that risk. Here's here's your billion dollar teleportation machine. Um, And yeah, that's probably that's a that's a big show of trust on her part. Yeah, he doesn't really acknowledge it. Let's try to mend this relationship kind of thing. Yeah, he doesn't acknowledge it as a big trust thing. I feel like he kind of feels like he deserved a chance to do this at this point. Like, oh, she's just, you know, re- she's mending this bridge. But I feel like this is a rather solid mending, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, it doesn't show Earth. It turns out that uh, it, it does it like nice. It's a slow reveal. It's tense or whatever. But um, it 
shows he, he follows all the way back and then he's like well there's the plane because it also shows the the z dimension and then there's the plane taking off and there's still my green line oh oh man uh i i guess that and then he, he's like oh, okay well here's like years of somebody you know spending little time here in this little mm-hmm. village or whatever and uh yeah it it uh turns out he body jacked somebody yeah. so yeah uh it's you know not I don't know. I that's that's cool to know, and I, I but it doesn't change much for me in how I think about the 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 story or his place in it. Does it do anything for you? A little bit. Um, it's it it comes up a bit later, so maybe I should save it then. But like the whole idea that he body jacked someone, and I guess presumably that person is dead now, unless he got teleported to Earth. But <laughs> that would. That would be very strange. So, like, th- there's a death kind of like it's not on his hands. It's the DM that killed this person. But I, I would feel kind of guilty if I was June. And also, like, like he brings up, it's it was this person's destiny. They were created in a body that identically matches June's. Just th- their existence was just to get them to the plane so that June could jump into this game, which is kind of fucked up to like create someone and have them live their whole life just to be sacrificed so that someone can play a game and and i guess he fulfilled his destiny in that moment since that was the purpose of his life that was what god wanted from him like it's it's a weird fucked up kind of theological thing yeah it's interesting you know like the the protagonist in skyrim you know wakes up on the cart at the beginning and if all the characters were sentient you know that character had a history until i took over right um they were they were doing something until they woke up in that cart and it's like it's not on me i didn't i didn't choose whose body i I stole right it's just like and the other thing too is that the bodies perfectly match you know you can't rule out game level fuckery there you know is his memories of earth messed with is his memories of his body messed with did earth ever exist you know all all of the existential stuff is is on the table but just taken at face value it's like yeah he didn't body jack this person it's kind of like um did you see the the wonder woman 1984 no, I heard it was terrible and I didn't bother. Eh, I mean, terrible is a strong word for it, but not, not, uh, not super, wrong. not, yeah, not, not an inaccurate word. It, <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's only a not perfect descriptor because it was almost not terrible. Like, okay. you know, a lot of movies are like, oh man, that was, that was a hot garbage from hot to, from, from start to finish. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this one, I can look at this movie and be like, oh, if they changed these three things, this movie would have been great. Okay. But they they didn't. So anyway, one of the things that people pretended to have a problem with that I don't understand is that uh, she like wishes her dead boyfriend back, uh, Steve, not Rogers, but basically you know the other Steve from from World War from a World War who crashed a plane to save humanity. Um, yeah, the ripoff of Captain America. Sorry, uh, Chris Pine, but his he's not even Chris Evans. Anyway, all the jokes there are <laughs> too good. He's got, they got the wrong Chris. <laughs> the wrong Chris, but. Uh, Anyway, so he he body jacks some random guy and mm-hmm. then, you know, they shack up and people are like, oh, my God, she like raped this guy. It's like, no, he's dead. Yeah. Like, I th- I don't. Why is everybody hung up on like the non-consensual sex part of it? This guy isn't there to consent. He's dead. Uh, that's yeah. the horrible part of it. I'm not saying all yeah. is hunky dory. The, the, the horror part is that he's been murdered. Uh, and it's it's just a you know, it's not uh it's not Steve's fault. He didn't get to pick whose body he was, you know, summoned into when he got wished into existence. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he might feel bad about it, but it's like, 
what can he do? Nothing. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, there's not a beat I wanted to hit here because uh, um, this never occurred to me. She says, you know, Uther Pendrag was the secret heir to the throne of Anglican. And if your life is a mirror of his, then who might you be? And Oh-ho. yeah, I, it never even occurred to me that he might be somebody important. Like I knew that he was going to become important because he's got all this potential. But, you know, the, the backstory, well, it's kind of like, again, the Skyrim thing works perfectly. You know, you're, you're some jackass who's going to get your head cut off. And then it works out where, where your head doesn't get cut off. And look at that. You're the dragonborn, the only one who can save the world from the impending threat of the world ender or the world eater, right? Um, or, you know, it might turn out that Darth Vader is his father and he never knew. Yeah. So that's, um, I don't know, I, something to put my on the back burner. Just, you know, I guess it never even occurred to me that his life might be a mirror of of Uther's that I just sort of figured like the only thing they had in common was the game layer and that they're both mirth and whatever. Right. But yeah, maybe their destinies will be uh, of similar tracks where, you know, June will have as big of an impact. Um, if he's and, secretly a prince, then maybe he shouldn't hook up with Amaryllis. They, they might be related. Yeah. Get, get some uh, uh, twisting branches in that family tree. Um, <laughs> Although I'd the, imagine uh, at this point, it would have to be such a distant relationship that it would be, you know, like marrying someone else from Europe if you're from Europe. Right. You know, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure that the genetic conflict there would probably be far enough because she's a perfect 14 and he's an average six. Right. So <laughs> um, it's, it's not like they share a lot of resemblance that uh, it, it also occurred to me when I was thinking about that, that we have no idea how Arthur learned his true heritage as a descendant of pain drag. Um, you know, I, yeah. it's probably just as simple as his, uh, Arab pappy told him in confidence before he got killed by the dark Lord. But, um, it's, you know, so presumably, uh, Arthur took over this guy's body when he was probably about Arthur's actual age of 17. Right. Um, mm-hmm. then some, I'm guessing some weeks later, the, uh, the dark Lord stomps through his town and kills everybody. And just during one Dude, of those I random know, scripted like- scenes, his dad sits him down and tells him, by the way, you're, you know, your stepmom here isn't your real mom. That's why you guys have different eye color or something. Your real mom was uh, the this this princess or something, right? But it would be weird to do that to someone in their early teens, just randomly sit them down and like break that. I honestly, I think it would be more likely that he would get it from the game layer in a quest description or something. Hmm, that's awesome. That hadn't occurred to me. I was thinking like you know it might not be the weirdest thing on your sixteenth birthday or something. For your for your dad to sit you down and tell you, by the way, you're a prince, um, or it's the it's the everybody dreads their 16th birthday because that's the day they find out if they're a bastard or not, right? Um, or it could have been like you know he finally asked too many questions. You know, again, why do I? I remember when I was a uh, would have been in primary school at some point. I learned about uh, heritable traits and dominant recessive traits. Um, I looked enough like my parents to tell like just at a glance that I'm related to them. But I was curious how I could tell for sure. And I remember trying to Google like how to tell if you're adopted. And all the results were like, uh, you know, how to tell your child that they're adopted or something. Um, mm. And then this is a, this was, I guess, transferable as uh, being able to ask the right question. So instead, I was like, list of heritable traits and list of dominant and recessive traits, which got me the data I was looking for, but with a different question. Um you know, so maybe he just asked, you know, why do I share literally nothing in common with her? But uh, yeah, you're right. It could very well have been a game layer thing. I mean, uh, the game. Why does is my not... mom a dwarf? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, you know, 
his family was killed with very little uh, documentation about them. Um, there, it sounds like it could have been entirely plausible that his his uh, Arab family was half another species. You never know. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, let's but see. Yeah, you. It looks like you got to thinking about um, other people joining the Arab game. Yeah. Um, well, so this was before we learned that he couldn't teleport back to earth. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I got a bit ahead of myself. I love earlier. your comment here. Oh my God, I may owe Inyash $20. <laughs> <laughs> and that, it wasn't so much about the loss of money, but I'm like, Oh my God, is this happening in the story? Um, mm-hmm. Like, cause what, like the implications of that would have been amazing. He can just it jump back to earth. Drastic, yeah. It would have been a drastic change to the story. If all of a sudden you can jump back and forth. Yeah. Um, you know, then of course he, there's the real concern that he has of like, what if magic doesn't work on earth? You know, I can jump there, but not back. Um, mm-hmm. There's no reason that can't be the case. And so uh, very pragmatically, he just does decide, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just look and see what happens. Um, but I was thinking before we got the conclusion that, you know, he could have jumped to earth and maybe brought Tom and Raymer plus or minus Tiff back to Arab. Right. Yeah. Uh, like that would have radically shifted the story. Uh, yeah. And in a way, I'm glad that didn't happen. I, I have no doubt that that could have been interesting. But it would have been, I I don't know, I, I it would take way too long to talk about it. But that would have been quite the the shakeup. It would have been a very different story. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, that is not the story that we got. Yeah, we got we got the story where he body jacks somebody and he gets a quest out of it. Um. Uh, they mm. say you can't go home again. He had a life before you, and you had a life before this. Uh, which I mean, you know, I know the game is. Uh, flippant with the amount of information it gives but like that's not even a quest like that you know it doesn't say what to do there's no objective there <laughs> it's just like I mean, I, you stole someone's body it's like okay, yeah yeah thanks game i figured that out myself do i, I do i, I complete the quest implied, now <laughs> i think it's implied by the name they say you can't go home again that the quest is to go back to the home i know where but he, where he was raised in yeah. but it, it if it's it's just one of the it's it's funny in a way that i think has to be delivered by the dm slash alexander to be like you know mm-hmm. it's not saying um you know because like the, the dream skewer thing it's implied you know when he learns like there's a school there um and the quest explicitly says something about you can go there to learn more about yourself or you know learn more about others like you um mm-hmm. which we know because you know it's the dream skewered school we get that but it spells it out for him this one just says yeah you you stole someone's body implied you can go back and i guess ruin your parents or his parents day um but uh i i wonder if you'll ever do that quest i mean uh i don't know are you gonna put it in your predictions mm, i i mean i suppose I, mean, I can i can predict that they probably will for the experience maybe um because maybe he'll just go there and try not to meet his parents or something or put on a disguise uh He's but, got a quest now. Well, like not now. Next chapter, once we get to that, to to clear out thirteen of the exclusions, and like I I, I want to know if you think they're going to go through all of them or what exactly. Pick a number. Yeah, I I mean my my rough general thing is that he'll probably try and complete every quest. Mm, he's a completionist. Well, I mean mainly because quest completion is one of the best ways to get experience, and experience gives you not just power ups, but those you know awesome orgasms he's been chasing so um uh let me put this in the notes here visit his body's home (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah um where was i uh yeah i 
basically the teleportation key allows him to trace back his adventure, uh, shows that he stole someone's body and my $20 is safe. Um, mm-hmm. The quest basically probably means that, yeah, he can go home and try and figure out what pre June's life looked like. It's also just not even clear what that does, you know, killing Felseed. I know what that'll do. Um, this wait, what, what will it do? It'll kill Felseed. It'll stop the bad guy. You know, like I mean, sure, I guess. I mean, the, he gets I, the best the best named quest ever. He gets is called you know chop a stupid head chop his stupid head <laughs> off. I know exactly what that quest, quest does. Um, yeah. I I just don't you know this one. I don't well, get. I mean, what the, he gets out it, of it. Yeah, it's, I don't know. Like it, it just gives you a goal. The, the goal is to chop his stupid head off. The goal is to kill Felseed. Like you know what you get at the end of it in this quest. The goal is to go back home and meet the family of the person. Who, who you killed, basically. And so, <laughs> like, that's the goal. Talk to the mom and the dad. And, uh, and you know, you know what you get out of it in the same way you know what you get out of those quests. Like, will you get XP? Sure. Will you get loot? Maybe. Who knows? You know, it's... Well, you know... There, if, there's if, less dead bodies involved in this quest, but it's more uh, more drama. Yeah. All, all he'll get is drama, though. You know, if the quest is rescue the princess, at the end of it, you get a rescued princess. At the end of this, all he gets is a couple of sad parents. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I... I mean, maybe maybe he could just go back. I, well, that's the thing. I was going to say, maybe he could go back and reassure them. Hey, look, your son's bo- body probably isn't in hell because, look, I've got his meat <laughs> suit. And yet that guy's soul is probably in hell. Like, we don't know. Um, Honestly, probably be better off not going back. Just like show up and be like, hi, mom. Hi, dad. Oh, by the way, it's not actually me. This, I, I'm some other person that stole your kid, your, your son's body. Like, I, I, I would just not want to have that conversation at all. Yeah, same here. You know, if which I guess is also the decision he makes. If he does decide to go back, what he could do is go to that town, lay real low, or put on a great disguise, learn everything there is to know about his. Uh, I don't know what to call pre June, and go have a quick conversation with his old ma and pa, and explain, "Hey, look, I survived the the risen lands. I wanted to come back and say I'm safe. I love you. I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go into hiding for for your safety and for mine." I just want to let you guys know I was safe. You know, that, that would actually be kind of cool, but it would be so hard to keep that conversation up, you know, to, to keep up that, that front when any, yeah. com- when any question they ask you would just immediately reveal you for an imposter. Right. They're so. like, so uh, we've been, we've been feeding your dog since you've been gone. That's great. Huh? And you're like, yeah, I love Wolfie. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, like Terminator 2. What a good boy. And they're yeah. like, it's Maxine and she's a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I'm. But again, too, you know, if you ask the neighbors, uh, maybe he could just juice as much luck as he could to work his way through that conversation. Um, mm. I don't know. It, it would be nice if he could go back and, and give some closure. Uh, but he doesn't even know the guy's name, right? Uh, I don't yeah. know. We're spending too much time analyzing it, but I'm curious about it. So don't don't yes. don't worry, everybody. This isn't going to be for our episode. A, we don't have the stamina for it, and B, the last couple chapters or a couple of these chapters are pretty short. So. Um, let's see. Did you want to pull out this part? Well, we talked about the, you know, he wasn't really responsible for stealing this guy's body. Yeah. Um, I think we've kind of jumped around and basically hit everything else here. Yeah. I think the, the main way. thing was that, you know, the last kind of beat on this chapter was, um, that, you know, if it wasn't Arthur at stake, uh, then, you know, it's the fact that she known this and kept it from me. And I'm like, dude, I know you're mad, but she didn't know what the stakes were to you. Mm-hmm. All she th- suspected strongly was that the Lost King was Dream Skewered. And yeah, she probably saw your eyes, you know, make a reaction when she told you his name or whatever. But like, you know, 
for all she knew, he could have, you know, you could have recognized the name from an earth president, right? Right, right. Like his eyes might've also said that like, wait, what was the king's name? Well, he he was King Barack Obama, right? Like <laughs> or King it, Adolf Hitler, right? You know, any of those would have also registered a reaction, and it's not mm-hmm. a personal emotional reaction to him. It's just like, wait a minute, that's super interesting. I recognize that person. You know, mm-hmm. it, I I kind of just wish before he went to bed, he would just realize, like, hey, you know, I gave her too hard a time, but alas, he doesn't. Instead, he goes, and I'm assuming I'm going to just pretend this isn't what happens, but I'm going to pretend he dreams about Kansas, because um, the oh. next. Uh, the next chapter is A Pleasant Interlude in Kansas, which since I knew the chapter name before reading it and before knowing whether or not he could go to Kansas, I thought that there was a decent chance he was teleporting to Kansas. Mm-hmm. So uh, no, thankfully... There's another, another flashback, and this one is a full flashback chapter. Yes. Uh, and it's not all that much longer, really, than any of the, the other interludes we've got. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'll let you drive for this one if you want. Sure. Uh, the I, I guess the main thing about it is that they were. Uh, this is how him and Tiff started the relationship, and I guess and also how they were relationship. Yeah, they were, and it's very sweet how they get together. Uh, it, it starts out with them talking about the uh, the unicorns, the crazy rape monsters, as she, <laughs> or creepy rape monsters, as she calls them. That horse was fucked up. She's that's a good word for it. Yeah. <laughs> And then, okay, so he explains that the, the, the idea behind them, they weren't quite rapey, but it was more like, I had this idea of a unicorn as this abusive guy who just beats and abuses his wife or daughter, and then pretends that nothing happened, or says it's only because he loves them so much, or whatever. I guess it was more about making his victims question the nature of their reality. And, uh, boy, man, like, when I read this again, I was like, oh, god damn it. I, I, didn't, I didn't take notes on, like, everything it was mainly the meta stuff that i took notes on and predictions of what was going to be coming down the line and so now i honestly do not remember if i had the the uh the 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 idea that this was you know i i can abuse my girlfriend and still have a a pretty girlfriend at the end of it if that was just something i had come up with while i was reading it or if i'm backfilling this after having read um alexander's explanation and and gosh, that's annoying. <laughs> Alas, that is the curse of the host seat. Uh, yeah. you'll, you'll never get, you know, I mean, there'll be times where you could say, I saw this coming and I'll, you know, I'll take your word for it. Cause why would you lie for zero points? But uh, in things like this, like you can't remember is like, shit, did I know that? Or did I think that? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll give you half credit. That sounds like the, when you, when you explained it before, that sounded like exactly like the kind of thought you could have had on your own. So. Um, and maybe this is just an indication of how good of a writer um, Alexander Wales is that I got that from the chapter without even having to get this explanation afterwards. I just picked it up from the actual action of the scene. Yeah. If, if that is in case what ha- indeed what happened, because again, my memory is all buffered. <laughs> yeah, like June. Uh, you don't know what memories are yours and which ones are the books. Uh, yes. Yeah, I... Um... You know, if 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 you ask me why did why does it have that power, I'd be like, oh, it's for the survival advantage and to make it a hard boss fight. But that you pair that with the insane desire for chaste young women, and like then that makes the whole thing paint a much uh, tighter picture. So, yeah, and the ability to penetrate them with your horn and yet still have them chaste and virginal. Yeah, yeah. So the 
the other interesting thing that comes uh, about this is that uh, when she when she hears that this was his idea, she's like, okay, but that doesn't quite make sense because we rescued the girl and the girls, and you said they seemed fine. And he was like, yeah, I chickened out. We were getting towards the end of the session, and I just didn't really want to have this messy, complicated ending that was going to bring everyone down. And yeah, you know, I wish he hadn't had chickened out because those sorts of things are always like super memorable and it just for me anyways like i like the more messy complicated stuff i really enjoy grim dark fiction like to me that would have been ideal but i also get how like you just had this whole adventure with your friends you don't necessarily want to bring down the whole thing it's funner just to keep it light and jokey and cheery rather than you know this oh now you have abuse survivors on your hands that sure they're rescued but boy, they're going to have a lot of years of dealing with the, this trauma to, to work through. And that, that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's nice just to hand your your team slash the players like, hey, you did it. You saved them. Not mm-hmm. you saved them, but they're forever eternally tormented by what they went through and their lives will never go back to normal. Like, you don't want to throw that in their face, you know? Yeah. Um, there was, uh, you know, she's... So basically, June doesn't want to go home because, I don't know, his parents fight or whatever. And hmm. uh, she's like, well, you know, my parents are out of town. Um, that's not an invitation, you know, to to do stuff. I'm just saying, you know, you, you can stay at my place. Um, yeah. I like how she says, just remember that it's a position of vulnerability for a young woman. And it sounds very Hermione. I like it a lot. Um, mm, it does. Yeah. He has or had some smart and sophisticated friends. Um, and then like on the drive back, he's, you know, he's been crushed. This is where we learned that he's been crushing on her and. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the line from that one flashback where, you know, can I roll my intelligence to solve this puzzle? And the guy's <laughs> like, curse my useless gigantic brain is ever burned into my head. And so um, he's thinking to himself, everything in my teenage boy brain was screaming that if I ever had a chance with her, this was it. And I just put curse my tiny and stupid teenage boy brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's cool because Tiff says like, she's really open about this. She says, I'm really horrible about signals. And, but it's so embarrassing to just plainly say things. Right. And he says, yeah, uh, no, it's like walking through a minefield and I get really tense because it feels like one wrong step is going to get me blown up. And, I kind of feel like in my personal life, maybe I've gotten better at signals over time, but it, I think most people would say I'm still pretty bad at them. Uh, but I totally get like both of them right now. They're, they're nerds. They're bad at the social stuff and just laying it out like that and acknowledging that they're bad at it. And, and Oh, it's awesome. Like these, these are my people. And I love how they're interacting here. They're just like being open about their failings and like, look, I'm bad at the socials and the words, uh, me friendy you yes well the thing is they're they're both great at words they're just bad at like playing the game of social cues and yeah you know frankly all that stuff's kind of annoying especially with something like do i kiss this girl or not right like yeah it, it would be great to have a frank conversation about it first and be like all right will this work out well are we cool rather than just go in for it and be like oh no you misread the situation completely you creep get the fuck away from me we're no longer friends like you know it Hey, conversation's great. Communication's awesome. I don't I don't know if I got better at social skills. I think I did, but I think that I I just put points into confidence in the last decade and mm-hmm. I think all of that was by just taking points out of my gives a fuck bucket. Um <laughs> like I mean a lot of it is just you got to 
you got to be willing to to look like an idiot sometimes. Like, I know when I was in high school, I wanted to be like 100% sure that I wasn't going to offend someone or look like an idiot or just have everything turned to shit by by trying to to hit on someone. And like, you can never, ever, ever be 100%. You can't even be 90% most of the time. At some point, you just got to fucking take that risk and say, hey, I really like you. And maybe you get laughed at and shit sucks. But you, I mean, what other fucking choice do you have aside to be alone for the rest of your life? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's why, like, I love this right here because, it, it, you know, they're teens. It's kind of a teen drama. It's right here. And they're both nerds. Uh, but he says, um, I don't want to make things weird between us or in the group, but I have a huge crush on you. And I was so fucking happy to read that line because we don't have to bother with all the stupid teenage drama bullshit angst stuff. Like he he went and nutted up and did the thing <laughs> and it's awesome and I love him for it. And even before it, it turns out that it's reciprocal, you know, he just liked that he, mm-hmm. he took the plunge. Um, that he did it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I maybe I'm broken, but like, I I didn't really care. Like, I'm like, oh, they're together. I, I, I registered it as a fact. Um, mm. I again, I, I, I'm emotionally invested in the story. It just turns out not in the romances whatsoever. Like, oh, I, I don't see, care me, if he ends up with Fen or Amaryllis or, or uh, you know, whatever. Like, I it it turns out that, hey, you know, not not really a, a thing I'm concerned with yet maybe uh, i'll maybe i'll learn to care more like i i i i was i was more um invested in this scene of him trying to like muster up the courage figure out if she likes him and just say i like you to her than i was like the battle with the gold mage like that was a really cool battle and it was interesting to see how they beat him um but but ultimately it was like you know that was a fight and this is like but Things that are important to the character is on the line. Okay, so I guess being alive is also important to the character, but <laughs> but, but I, I'm I don't have much fear that the character is going to be killed. Like that rarely happens in a book. And yeah, you can lose things in a fight, but generally not your life if the book isn't in the last like twenty pages or so. Uh, so I having that you could lose your status in the group and lose the girl that you're interested in, like that just seems much more of an actual stakes to me then you know is he going to win this fight or not well yeah he's going to win it and it's going to be cool and interesting to see how he's going to win it it's going to be like watching a cool fight scene or figuring out a cool puzzle but it's not it doesn't quite have the same emotional impact for me yeah i think i'm able to get hyped on those because you know this is i'm assuming a story with stakes you know like um like canon harry potter you know the most important person rowling was able to muster herself to kill was one of the weasley twins which was fucked up um, yeah, it should have been, you know, one, the other one should have died trying to avenge the first. Um, mm-hmm. but like it was a Weasley, you know, it, yeah. but Yudkowsky, he's like, no, we're going to kill Hermione gruesomely and she's going to die in front of Harry. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, in any one of these serious fights, next time they're fighting Superman, uh, you know, That's um, true. You, you could know, Finn could die. Uh, yeah. it, it could be serious. So. I don't have to read the whole thing because it's a giant paragraph and I'm a slow reader, but she has this whole long, uh, Tiff's got this whole long thing about, look, you know, you can say the night, but I don't want it to be like a thing. You know, uh, there are certain assumptions if somebody invites a girl over, or if a girl invites a guy over when her parents are out and, um, 
I'm essentially reading the whole thing. <laughs> she says, uh, <laughs> you know, especially if they just confess their whole their feelings for each other. And I don't want you to think, you know, not that you would, that this is a proposition of some kind or a promise on my part, you know, that asking you over is consensus of some kind. See, just incredibly embarrassing. I feel like I'm going <laughs> to melt. And I'm like, hey, mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to say, Tiff, you know, you don't be hard on yourself. I think you did great. That was yeah. really articulate. You know, feelings are hard to talk about. Also, teenage feelings are very hard to talk about because they're children oh, yeah. burn. Um, but Damn, dude. <laughs> Damn, now we got to have fisticuffs. I think that your first few times talking about feelings is harder than your your uh, hundredth time. Um, although it's never easy. You know, you're putting yourself out there like this, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. uh, the other the other reason I wanted to pull that out is because she is like the exact opposite of Fen. Uh, like almost precisely the exact opposite. Yeah. Um, I mean, I haven't run a rotation on the letters, but we've got one letter, vowel, two repeating letters. That's also Fen's name. Um, mm. You know, it that sure feels like a clue. Uh, they, they, <laughs> they, they have like distinctly opposite personalities. Um, yeah. And they're both the first kind of romantic person that they bumped into. You know, granted, he's got the hots for Amaryllis, but, you know, Fen keeps showing her, showing him her tits. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so like where we've got Tiff saying, hey, look, you know, uh, we can kiss or whatever, but this isn't a full on invitation. And, you know, I'm trying to be, uh, you know, da- walk this line. Fen's just all like, hey, I'm going to get I'm going to get undressed and, you know, show you, you know, full frontal nudity before I go take a shower. Um, right. Just just for the, the lulls. Um, it's it, it couldn't be more opposite of Tiff. Yes. I'm going to shake my booty as I'm walking away. Don't you want to touch the hiney? That's right. Oh, you know where this this chapter did get me emotionally engaged was after the line break. So he stays the night and it's really cute because he's mm-hmm. up on the couch and he couldn't stop staring at her and smiling. Um, yeah. Which is all, it's very sweet. Uh, but then uh, the, the line break is they, you know, they never told the group or Arthur that they were dating. And then we learn shortly thereafter that Arthur liked her and I'm like, Oh, Oh shit. The way I see this going is Arthur saw them making out at school or something was driving home all upset at boom car crash. Mm. And cause that's exactly how this would go. If this was to be as tragic as possible. Right. Um, uh, yes. And like you, are you thinking of Fleabag right now? Uh, no, that does happen in Fleabag. You're right. I forgot. Yeah. Like that. I mean, that that was that was the thing when I stumbled across this note of yours. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, "Oh shit, yeah that that is exactly you know the the major damage of Fleabag that she's dealing with." The main difference there is that uh, you know she was just fucking him because she's a nymphomaniac, not because she actually cared about him, right? Yeah, and yeah. and uh, you know Arthur and Tiff weren't together. It's not like he's you know having a, a an affair with her on the on the sly. You know he right. just he just uh, asked her first. You know. Um, which among teenage, teenage people is a, uh, um, it violates bro code. Right. So, you know, there is that, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Raymer makes that point much less pleasantly later on. But, uh, anyway, I, I was, we, we get evidence that that's not what happened. Um, Mm -hmm. but we don't, we, we don't get proof, you know, it, maybe when he meets Uther in 150 chapters, um, he'll be like, yeah, actually I died cause I was leaving the scene after I watched you, uh, you know, making out with her and it hurt my feelings. Like Shit. that could still totally happen. And it could just be that literally no one ever found out that Arthur found out. Right. Mm-hmm. But 
as far as we know, he didn't find out. So I'm I'm keeping my fingers crossed that he didn't know. And all all June has is guilt about yeah. you know having made out with the girl that Arthur liked. Um, yeah. uh, anyway, that was a nice terrifying part of the chapter here for me. So th- again, that's what got me invested. Um, yeah. The uh, oh the way that like he he cuts to it. He just you know they have all this wonderful happy stuff happening, and then. Then Arthur got in a car accident, and eleven days later he died, and it all went to shit. Just and and, and that ends that section. I'm like, God damn, dude, you know how to just starkly throw that into in relief into relief like that. Yeah, it's it did a really good job setting that up. It even set it up with a really funny joke that uh, June stole from me because I was going to say it, uh, <laughs> where she says like, "Your thoughts are like these icebergs. You only ever you only ever reveal the tip." And he says, "Just the tip, just to see how it feels." <laughs> He joke blocked me. Um, Damn it, June. There's there's another one where uh, I think I pulled it out of the actual notes here, but I I stopped to make some stupid joke. And it's actually kind of time consuming on my phone because the highlight is kind of annoying. And then it opens up the note thing. You got to type it in. And Mm -hmm. in the note, I even said, like, I can't believe I'm wasting time, like, you know, pulling myself out of the story long enough to make this stupid joke. And I don't remember what the joke was, Mm -hmm. but uh, We'll, we'll stumble across it. No, I actually deleted it from from the show notes because it wasn't oh, really no. relevant. But oh, okay, it happens. But it will show up in the Stephen's notes that the patrons can see. That's right. Uh, by the way, I haven't had any feedback on that. Tell me if anyone thinks they're fun to read. If you don't think they're fun, then don't tell me. But uh, <laughs> you know, I I know that it gets some likes uh, every week. Oh wait, you said you like reading them though. Oh, that's actually fun too. That people put the like on them. That tells me people are reading them. I don't really care. It's mainly just like you know, I I I I probably spend at least an hour on my first read through writing notes. And like, that's an hour earlier that I could have finished the reading and gotten to, you know, uh, you know, hit that, hit that the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, no, it's not even that I've got anything better to do. It's just the the better thing I have to do is finish reading. I want more. I want to keep going with the story. I pull out, I pull out of the story to write these notes. Um, so after that, like you said, awesome emotional contrast line of Arthur died, it's uh, they're playing at Raymer's house, and uh, I I guess it does, doesn't say um, how long after he died, but it's fresh. Uh, yeah. It maybe I'm guessing a week or two because it does say it's a week after he apparently got arrested fucking that kid up. Um, yeah. It said that he fought whatever Victor God has a plan whatever, um, but I didn't know that it was like you know enough to get the police involved. You know because yeah. seventeen year olds fight, and that's just a thing that happens, but. Uh, if he hit him hard enough for the cops to arrest him, then that was, that was semi-serious. Uh, mm-hmm. I initially, I thought Raymer was going to be lighthearted and fun about this. Um, he's like, so how long you've, have you and Tiff been a thing? And he just says eh, a few months, you know, the whole like hiding it didn't really, you know, seem fun anymore. So they weren't bothering. And he says, seems like the kind of thing you should have shared with the rest of the class. I'm like, that's kind of funny. And then he goes just full well, so then I'll read the thing. Uh, June says, fuck off. And he says, do you wish you told Arthur before he died? And I'm like, oh, hell no. Oh, man. You mother. Like, you know, this shit's fresh. And also, fuck he's, you. He's and also, for the jugular. Yeah. You, you you saw me fuck up that guy, right? You're you piece of shit. So he does grab an acrylic uh, fist-sized D20 that unfortunately only hits uh, uh, Raymer in the forearm because June hasn't yet invested points into throwing weapons. Um, either that or Raymer has put a lot of points into Perry. That's right. <laughs> uh, and, and I, I wanted to pull this out just cause I was so pissed at Raymer in this. Um, June says, you're such a fucking asshole. 
And he says, yeah, I am. The difference between the two of us is that I know I'm an asshole and you prance around like you're his bestest friend in the whole world. You and Tiff could have told him he'd have been upset, but at least it would have spared him being made a fool of. He died a virgin pining after her and you were just laughing behind his back about what a moron he was. And like, Mm. I mean, you know, June just says it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't like that because he knows it wasn't like that. You know, it, yeah. They're, they're, you know, June's not an asshole. Raymer knows that, and I, you know, the time I'm reading, you know, as I'm reading this, I know that Raymer's also grieving. You know, this is, you know, anger is a nice uh, balm to put over grief. Um, you know, so it. I mean, honestly, maybe he's trying to provoke a fist fight. You know, just just yeah. to get something off his mind. You know, he also misses Arthur, right? Uh, mm-hmm. However, that's super fucked up to say. And yes, uh, it, it doesn't come to a, a, a real fight. Um, what it does come to is June kills his character eight times that night. But um, it's uh, I, I think what, what what annoys me is, you know, Bramer is like, I, you know, I had a, a longer note about that, but I don't think that it actually applies as much, you know, because I think he is just grieving in his own way. You know, he, he's not it, it, I don't get the impression that he's like this all the time or they wouldn't be friends. You know, so he's not, he's not like an edgy asshole teenager who thinks that, you know, he gets to be an asshole because he says he's an asshole, right? He's just, he's having a bad time too. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can tell he's just saying the most hurtful possible thing, despite the fact that it's not true, that you were just laughing behind his back. Like he knows June enough to know they weren't doing that. Yeah. There's no way in hell that they were, they were, huh, Arthur's such a tool. You know, what they, what mm-hmm. it did actually show us is that they had a, a close conversation about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, Hey, you know, Arthur, you know, was into you, you know, into you too. And it's, yeah, it's, that was tough. And you know, like they, they had an emotional, serious conversation about it. They weren't like, ha, huh, what a virgin noob, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and Bramer knows that too, but it, it is what it is. Uh, you know, so. Um, it would have eventually come to, something bad though the longer like the longer they went keeping that hidden the the worse it gets you gotta at some point just come out with it because like if 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 uh, he were to find out like what 16 18 months later that this whole time they've been dating it's like you've been hiding this from me the whole time like that would have really fucked up their relationship you you can't keep it that secret that long you know maybe a few weeks and then let him know. <laughs> he doesn't tell him until he asks him to be the best man at their wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so th- that's this is an interesting thing that uh, Raymer does bring up, though. Um, June says that he was my best friend. And Raymer counters with, maybe when you were growing up. After that, Tiff was your best friend because you chose her over him. And I don't, I don't know how to not feel like that's true because... Like, the relationship you have with your best friend in your life feels like it's different with what you would have with the new girl that you just started dating on the one hand. But, like, on the other hand, he's not wrong. Like, he did choose Tiff over Arthur in this case, right? Like, it's 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 kind of fucked up. And I don't want to boil it down to, like, some kind of bros before hoes bullshit thing. But, like, at what point do you do you betray not not betray even but start treating your friend as more of an outsider because now you have this girl instead i deny the premise i I don't think that you're forced to choose in things like this you know i think that uh it's he he was dating tiff and arthur was his best friend right 
Like, yeah, there was a, a deception there. No doubt he probably told Arthur at some point, oh, no, I can't come over. I've got uh, homework when, in fact, he was going to go, you know, make out with Tiff or something. Right. So yeah. it, it was making that divide. But I, I don't I don't know. I think best friends are more of a childhood thing. And, and you know, maybe I'm wrong, but this also is just the kind of thing. Well, I don't know. It's maybe this happens among adults. You know, if so- uh, if two people, if two adults like the same person, but I think of two adults with a capital a like the same person they can talk to each other and you know be grown-ups about it right um i guess like here's the thing that really fucking irritates me about sexuality did you see the striking scorpions episode of black mirror yes uh it okay. had um anthony mackie in it and uh shit i forget her name mantis uh i know who mantis is i have no idea who anthony mackie is uh falcon Oh, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, Falcon's I, avatar was Mantis. Neat. Oh, okay, cool. It's yeah, all connected, so, man. Um, yeah, for people who aren't familiar, it's these two uh, two buddies, been best friends forever, I guess, and they start playing a fighting game, but it's like one of those full um, full immersive, kind of like this sort of game that June is playing right now, where like you get totally put into the body of your avatar, and you do all the punches and feel everything they're feeling, etc. And... Uh, one of the guys chooses a female uh, fighter. It's a Mortal Kombat-based game, you know? And they're all fighting each other, but eventually they, like, start fucking, too, because they're both in the hot Avatar bodies, and it gets really weird between them. Uh, and it's a really good episode, but, like, I... I... Hmm, I, had, I took that episode very personally. Like, it seemed a very big deal for me, because I kind of had, like, that sort of best friend relationship in my late teens, and it was just, like... I spent all my time with this person and I just had this intense closeness. And in the end, it's like, sure. Okay. But we're, we're both guys. And, uh, he started dating someone and then I was alone and I don't fucking blame him either because I'm very interested in women too. Right. And the whole thing, it sort of, it fell apart. And I just, I really wished that like, maybe we were gay or maybe like I could have been a hot chick or something so that we could still have that relationship and still, and have our sexuality in with that as well. And the fact that you are sexually attracted to different types of people really fucking irritates me. It's one of the things about biology. I dislike. We, we should not have all this stupid sex stuff that makes everything annoying. Yeah. I, and so that's why I think, like, when he when Raymer says that, he he kind of has a point. Like, I, I know it's just biological, and this is the way the human species is, so it's not like it's necessarily June's fault. And if Arthur had found someone first, it would have worked out the other way around, and it wouldn't have been Arthur's fault either. But, like, but Raymer's not wrong in this case. He did he did kind of sideline this, this relationship he'd had his whole life. Because now he his biology is telling him, go find a mate. Go do it now. It's the most important thing. You know, I guess there's a couple things there. And, and, you know, part of it is just that, like, I feel like that's what happens with teenagers. Um, you know, somebody gets a girlfriend first in the, in the friend group and starts spending time with, you know, well, if you're if you're guys like I was growing up, um, then somebody, you know, gets a girlfriend and they start spending time with them. And usually you're jealous because you don't have a girlfriend yet or something. Uh but then you become an adult. I'm going to just keep needling you. Sorry, I'll stop doing that. Um, you, yeah. you, you gain wisdom through experience and you realize that like this is life that happens. And so, you know, I, I would be 
very surprised if he meets Arthur in Arab and Arthur's still bitter about this. You know, Arthur's got 500 years of wisdom under his belt. June will still feel bad about it because June will, you know, be 17 or 18 or something, right? Um, You know, unless we get some five-year montage, but I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, June will feel bad, but Arthur will be like, dude, I get it. We were kids. Well, you're a kid. I was a kid. You know, I'm 500 years old. Like, uh, (laughs) and and even if he hasn't been aging that whole time, if he's in stasis or something rather than in hell or or elsewhere alive, he still lived a, a, you know, he still had uh, whatever. He became a fucking king. You know, he, yeah, he lived long enough to do all that, him. right? So, yeah. um, you know, he he sired uh, an, an empire and uh, um, what am I to, a dynasty, right? So uh, he's like, yeah, man, I found a girlfriend. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. um, it it's interesting. Um, yeah, I think the other, I don't know, the, the chapter kind of wraps up um, where. Uh, I guess there's a couple things. Um, yeah, one know. of the interesting things near the end of the chapter, he mentions that um, even though him and Raymer never made up, they kept playing. And in the end, uh, just before he gets warped over to air, it's just him and Raymer and Tom that that it's just Raymer and Tom that are still willing to like play with him and be around him. And yeah, that's I mean, she can be weird that way. Like sometimes these stubborn asshole people are the ones that like, yeah, you were an asshole to me. I was an asshole to you. We're square. It's cool, and they're they they can be good people to have around sometimes. Just in the the bluntness and the honesty and the not holding things against you as long as you're willing to take it and dish it out in equal measure. You know. Yeah, I mean, it never it doesn't get into detail, but I remember I was younger than seventeen. You know, still more hormonal or something. But you know, we we'd be pissed about something. I have again terrible memory of my childhood, but uh, you know, we, we'd get. We'd have a fight, like a physical, you know, fist fight where you wouldn't really aim to do damage. You wouldn't aim for the face, but, you know, one of you would win and then you'd help the other guy up. Like, all right, we, we got it out of our system. Great. Let's let's go back to your place and play video games like the, You know, it's uh, it is possible to to be mad enough to come to blows because you're too young to understand how feelings work and handle your emotions uh, and then just be fine. Literally. 60 seconds later. Um, I do like how June does realize, you know, looking back, I have to wonder how much of Raymer being a dick to me. was just him processing the grief in his own way. And I'm like, Oh, you know, that's I'm unlike what he's doing with Amaryllis. Uh, like mm-hmm. he's, he's not seeing the same parallel here that he's doing with Amaryllis. Right. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's unreasonably pissed at her for keeping the secret of Arthur from him. And, and it's like, you don't, you don't realize that, you know, she didn't, that, that, you're being super unfair about this. Um, well, I guess, but like he's he's lost a de- a fair deal of a fair amount of trust in her, and, and that takes more than you know one d four hours to get over. No, no, I mean it's it's just uh, he it, it wasn't even that much trust. I guess what I'm just saying is like during that fight, or even on the way back to his room, he didn't realize like you know he he never thought to himself you know she didn't know maybe I was being a bit unfair. Um, and but he's he's giving Raymer the the break where Raymer was actually being an asshole, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if if Amaryllis had said, yes, I knew the truth and I didn't tell you because I figured you were too stupid to handle it, then <laughs> it's time to be mad, right? Yeah, but uh, he's had several months between him and Raymer, whereas the, the Amaryllis thing just happened the, the earlier that day or the previous day. Like, it, it, it helps to have a little bit of distance. It does. 
you know, and maybe part of, you know, the wisdom you get with growing up and having more experiences is that you can sometimes just skip ahead. Yeah. Um, in fact, even like three weeks ago, um, something happened where somebody did something to uh, annoy me in a rather severe way. And I, they knew it was a rough week that I was having. And I drafted a text to send back. And then I was like, mm, no, this won't accomplish anything. And then I took nice. a shower, was pissed the whole time I was in the shower thinking about it, got out, drafted a less angry text. And I was like, mm, where will this go? No, we'll, we'll you know, th- let's not even bother. I was knowing, you know, like there's, and I'm not saying I'm like the wisest, hopefully I'm not the wisest I'll ever be, but <laughs> I'm hoping I'm the wisest I've been, uh, mm-hmm. where I can see in the moment of being angry, like, you know what, this is pointless. Um, I We can work this out later you know, especially when it's not 1130 at night on a weekday. Right. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, just, just, uh, I guess what I'm saying is that if he was, he gets, he gets points of maturity for understanding Raymer, but he, he hasn't, he need he needs one or two more wisdom points before he's able to forgive Amaryllis in the moment. Um, yeah. you know, like he was also quote betrayed by them when he learned that they were talking about him behind his back. And, uh, like when they, when they find the the cache of items in uh Caralaga and he's like wait you guys were talking about like me when I wasn't around and they're like of course you might have been crazy and he's like yeah okay i get it um yeah that that's an actual transgression of trust right they 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 very uh. well may have thought of ways to kill him if it came to that and uh but he was able it to just seems to, like being prudent right yeah yeah I, I guess if he can acknowledge that as prudent, he can he he can acknowledge Amaryllis's very understandable omission here as, oh, she didn't know, you know. Um, but he's upset, you know. He'll apologize to her eventually, or he won't, and uh, she'll become a dark lord, and he'll have to kill her, or vice versa. So, um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to Dark Lord Amaryllis. <laughs> I I wonder who'd make a better Dark Lord. I mean, she she seems to have the ruthlessness, but he's stronger. Oh, I think she would make a better Dark Lord. Uh, I, you know, that's the thing is I don't know all the kinds of magic. Um, you know, if there's, oh, a, well, I, if there's yeah. mind fuckery and you know, that sort of thing. And he wanted just to go full Voldemort, he'd have a better time climbing that power ladder. But part of that is being a ruthless psychopath. And I don't know if he's there. So of course that seems to suggest that I do think that I do think Amaryllis is there. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, I hope she's nice. That's, I think that does our been basically the whole time. Uh, yeah. of course, you know, Someone's going to point it out at the end, which turns out to be Voldemort. Be like, you should have known the second that she thoughtlessly shot Paul in the face. And it's like, it wasn't thoughtless, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, yeah. So- it ends It ends with him saying that the, the relationship with Tiff was an early casualty because, you know, Arthur died and they'd been hiding stuff from Arthur and it just feels like he doesn't deserve her comfort after after that betrayal. And that's it's a, it's a hell of a bummer. That, that this whole chapter, no, this whole second half of this chapter. Yeah. The first half was super cute and nice. Yeah. They, this actually does support kind of what you were saying about how, um, Bramer might've been right that you chose Tiff over, over Arthur. Cause if he really didn't feel that way, if he didn't, if he said there's no, there's no truth to that. And I know that for sure. He wouldn't still feel bad about being with Tiff, you know, other than maybe the memory or, or maybe he just didn't think it was okay for him to feel good because he should be feeling bad right now. Right. Um, right. so it could have been either of those, but also, and it's like, no, you know, I know that I was doing this in secret b- before and I feel bad about that now, you know? So, um, yeah. anyway, yeah, it's a bummer. Um, and it, it's, 
super well written though you know put it puts feelings mm-hmm. in and uh it adds context to the other flashbacks and um luckily we get to jump right back into like super positive happy-go-lucky stuff and that's not sarcastic yes. um, because we get pancakes exactly and uh pancakes are a basically bigly tradition for me so um cool yeah I, chapter 43 in a nutshell they're they're throwing everything at the wall just to see what sticks to get as many quests as possible so they can level up june quickly and mm-hmm. it's just uh it it's hilarious um i i will do my best not to read every line of it that's funny uh grack is hilariously straightforward the whole time but he loses major points with me by eating like a fucking animal um <laughs> i have far less of an issue with like food and mouth things than you do i have found i you know it doesn't describe necessarily that he's eat that he's chewing annoyingly or something but he does grab pancakes with his hands and he's like you know talking with his mouth full and it's just like smashing pancakes between his teeth or something and i'm like you know just close well, your mouth you, and you're you, chewing. I, I assume that you grab burgers with your hand and and fries and things right uh yes but yeah it's I, I guess something about it just felt like him being a barbaric dinner companion uh, I mean, there there's places where you're expected to eat your pizza with a fork and a knife, and anyone who saw you picking up a pizza slice and eating it would be like, "Ugh, what's he doing?" Right. But if I was picking it up off a stack of 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 pizza slices that someone else was going to touch, right? And that's the thing is, I don't I don't know what the soap situation is like on air, but uh, <laughs> then again, I don't know what the germ situation is like either. Although there is rat rot, so there are there's something like germs or curses that might have been a curse. Eh, who cares? You know. Anyway, other than eating like a like a barbarian, Grack is the I mean, just on a meta level for the story and our our party so far, we have a delightful uh mesh of uh of different varieties of comedy. Um mm-hmm. you know, Grack can deliver he's not even trying to be funny, because I don't think I don't think he could tell a joke. If he did, it yeah. would be like uh when he played God of War, um he there's a there's it's delightful and I won't I won't spoil anything but he's there there's uh, dialogue scenes that are just kind of uh, filled in with the story and he's telling his son like you know uh, fables and he's just giving the quick cliff notes and it's like he sucks at telling stories and it's really funny uh, but he doesn't he doesn't know that he sucks at telling stories and he doesn't know that it comes off hilarious right that's the kind of cool. humor that Grack has if he if he ever yeah. does tell a joke. He'll be like, uh, it'll be like um, uh, Rorschach in Watchmen, right? It was a great joke. Everyone laughed. And it's like, that's not, that's not a joke, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, so we, you've got that. And then anyway, so I'll open up with Fen's line here. She, she jumps in and she's like, all right, uh, now that we're all here, we shall eat pancakes and discuss the future. Uh, and it's like, this is the level of light, hilarious humor. You know, enjoy the bounty of the freezer and pantry of weak of weak handum. Long may it provide. Like I, her her level of non seriousness is perfectly contrasted with Grax. It's delightful. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's when, my ten minute intro. When June says over. he wants to, <laughs> when June says he wants to go find Uther, and Emerilus is like, eh, Uther's probably gone or in, impossible to find. I say we can do all your quests instead. And Grax is like, neither of those are plans. what is the list of quests and i you know i i kind of think like those are plans like one person wants to go complete the find the king quest and the other person wants to just do them all to knock out xp yeah i think uh it's it's 
I, I'm not sure if if what he's saying is that like uh, I, I I guess I'm wondering those are those are goals but not plans, right? Um, you know, my goal is to find the Lost King. How are you going to do that? I have no idea. So it's like, well, that's not a plan. That that ah. that, that that's a destination. Um, okay, you're right. You're right. But you, I I do like, but the fact that he's so plainly he's he's keeping his eye on the the goal of the conversation, right? And mm-hmm. again, because he doesn't, he can't, uh, I he can't play the game and like he can't take his eyes off the ball. So they're like, all right, well, what does everyone else want? He's like, I need more gold to take home. And it's like, dude, we know that. <laughs> And then Fen just basically says the same thing, but makes it in all this flowery quest giver speak. And bing, the quest pops up. Yeah. Which uh, is basically give Grack more gold so he can take it home. Oh, yeah. I forgot that wasn't actually official quest yet. Um, yeah. There was there was a line I wanted to pull out from before. Because uh, like you'd said, um, Emeralist tosses out the idea that, uh, you know, no, you know, the Lost King's probably dead. Um, well, I, but Fen first was like, all right, June comes out with a strong pitch. Can our princess deliver a better counteroffer? This all just screams like a great cartoon. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, I, I hadn't articulated this thought before that, um, you know, I've been thinking of Arthur in, you know, trapped in a crystal, like a soul gem fighting the Dark Lord or, you know, stuck in the mirror of Erised or Noitalov or whatever. Um, yeah. Never. I the how is he around 500 years later question has been in our face since like the first three chapters people live in hell forever right it it, it but for some reason I hadn't, I hadn't put that as a possibility um it seems extremely probable at this point that he's in layer 9000 or 9001 of hell um mm-hmm. like it uh there's at least there's no reason that can't be the case right because i would think oh no if he's dead then you know he can't find him you know he'll find a skeleton that's pointless but no he could totally be in hell in which case we very well like first of all gene june needs to get his hand on a telescope and see if he can find him but i'm assuming people know what he looked like and people are looking through these telescopes slash infernoscopes um yeah. and someone would have been like holy shit that's uther pendrag so the fact that no one says that probably means that he's in the lower levels of hell if he's in hell but if he is in hell and they can confirm it, then he gets to go like Doom Guy his way through hell, uh, hmm. like the uh, the Doom games, and it's going to be amazing. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, if you didn't play Doom twenty sixteen, uh, it's amazing. And I did not. It's it's just it's got the dumbest, hilarious like because it's not taking itself seriously. You know, it, yeah, the quests are like, yeah, you need to go to hell so you can get this key and then return to the base on Mars, and it's like you fucking got it, dude. Like it's it's the most absurd thing ever, but it's hilarious. Um, anyway, yeah, I've heard it's a great fun game. Yeah, I I just needed to get that out. I I put that note in bold because I was like, wait a minute, I never talked about the fact that Arthur could just be in hell and like he's still yeah. he's still around and still findable and dead at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, well, I got past that. It would be so. pretty badass if this ultimate quest is to break somebody out of hell or like, just break the shit. hells because that whole thing's a nightmare and shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. So. Break the hells wide open and save all of everybody from all of history. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. You know who could help with that? The fucking gods, which no one seems to give <laughs> one shit about. I'm at the point where it's almost annoying. Uh, you know, they've had some downtime. He's got a book on the gods that he, I, if he's if he's cracked the cover of it, he hasn't told us about it. Like, there are gods. Yeah. How is this not the biggest? This is almost the biggest priority. Um, especially because one of his quests says he can join their ranks and it's like, well, shit, if literal godhood is on the table, I need to know everything I can about this. Um, uh. 
anyway, I'll I'll get off my god. I'm bothered by the god botherer quest. Um, yeah, I I agree with you. <laughs> it was easier when I thought that he was just a god who'd been mind whammied into you know thinking he's immortal. Uh, now that that is probably not on the table anymore. Like, yeah, the the gods should be a much bigger concern. I agree. It's not my hobby horse, but I, I will I'll back off of it and let it go. But let it stand that until we get more closure on the gods, I am latently annoyed about it. I'll, I'll say one more thing, then I'm going to let you talk for at least two minutes before I try not to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> we we do get a uh, um, a quick throwaway line that uh, Grack and um, Fen bottled a bunch of unicorn blood, and I feel like this solves Grack's gold problem. You know it. It seems like that, but then a little bit later on, we get the um, we get Fen setting her foot down, saying, "I will not have uh, group loot be used in this way." And uh, I'll fight and, anyone who wants to use group loot to that end. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and Grack is like, "Hey, step off! I'm I'm happy with our arrangement." Like, it sounds like he's just getting two two pounds of gold per week, or was it one pound of gold every two weeks? And that 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 is his plan for now, and that is. You know, he's not going to step on the group loot situation at all, as long as he's getting paid his gold. I mean... Because also, like, he can't he can't make his penance with unicorn blood. He can't be like, here's 1,000 gold worth of unicorn blood. He needs the actual pounds of gold. No, but I feel like it'd be really easy to turn liquid gold into gold, you know? like By liquid gold, you mean unicorn blood? Yeah. I mean, maybe, but on the other hand, it's possible that a... That a very large fraction of the world's gold is in the hands of gold mages at this point. I suppose, but I mean, you know, there's got to be some rich lord around with, you know, who doesn't want to die of bonitis or, or I guess not bonitis in particular, but, you know, whatever, right? Um, yeah. Poison, etc. I don't know. I'm just thinking this stuff's got to be incredibly valuable. And yes, it's it's group loot, but, you know, Fen gets sable, Fen gets this suit of armor, June gets armor. You know, like at some point you start divvying up the loot they've got several jars he should be allowed to have at least one or two of them depending on how many they have uh you know if they've got eight i think he's earned two of them um it's uh so I, i'm just saying he, he's got i feel like some money all right i'll shut up i said i would so okay uh okay so uh, i just have a a all right so i i guess i'm gonna pull out a few things here um where Fen says that uh, it's, it's she's kind of joking uh, with this situation, but uh, she makes the comment that it is it's great to be it feels great to be the best most important care companion, which I personally like. Just I love her humor there, but uh, then Grack jumps in and says Amaryllis is more important <laughs> because <laughs> because he just like assumes I guess that other people are simply stating facts rather than joking, and he must correct them because they are wrong. So like he, he's a lot of fun too, and I, I like that. And um, he continues on saying she's also the second least annoying after me, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is is not a joke because again, as we were saying, I don't think he knows how to joke necessarily. So he's it seems to me like he's just being regular, honest, and and stating yeah, you know, you. You're annoying. <laughs> I'm not annoyed by myself, obviously, and and Amaryllis is is pretty good. So uh, in that same regard, and Fen has this like she narrows her eyes. She's like betrayer, <laughs> <laughs> which is great, and just brings me around to like I think like I really love Fen. She is my favorite, and I keep just standing for her. But I, I think 
what I really love is the group interactions between the four of them. Like they couldn't, Finn couldn't work if she didn't have the rest to play off of. And she's like the most visible. She's like the front man. So she gets all the love, or at least she does for me here. Uh, but she, she just wouldn't work out without everyone else there as well. So I think what I love is their whole relationship dynamic as a group. And it's just a pleasure to read. I agree. The group, the group chemistry is doing a lot for it. And I'm curious what it'll be like when the group gets bigger. Um, seven will be a lot to keep track of if he does have seven uh, companions like Uther did. But uh, yeah, the um, uh, it's 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 the it's the chemistry. You know, she was funny before. She's way funnier in contrast to Dra- to Grack. Yeah. Um, and and likewise, he wouldn't be half as funny without her. Um, anyway, yeah. So he decides to read all his quests, except for the the say you can't go home again one because I think he feels weird about it. But yeah. they don't they don't raise an eyebrow at the Godbother quest. Once he reads their quest, then the plan is like, all right, let's try and get more quests going and. Uh, Grack pointlessly and hilariously, re- hilariously reiterates that he needs a thousand pounds of gold, which I mentioned, but it's just way too funny not to mention. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, Fen, like you said, reiterates it in much more flowery language. And then that makes the and, and she manages to mispronounce his his uh, hometown, I'm assuming on purpose. She calls it Drilly Erd. And the quest says, return to Darilly Erid. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's her. That's her version of Earth to bug him. Um, yep. But yeah, I mean, to me, this is also evidence that the DM has a sense of humor, and it's like, no, it's, you get quests, but you have to do it in a questy way. Um, yeah. And so uh, they it they just also, keep trying this. Also, an interesting note is that when he gets the quest, it says that it's a self imposed penance. So I guess like this wasn't this wasn't a thing that was forced on him by something. He feels some guilt for some reason. And decided that this is a thing he had to do. I don't know. Do you think? Do you have any any ideas like what exactly that means? Like why is it self imposed, and what does he really want then out of this out of this quest that he's given himself beyond just the gold? It's an honor thing, I'm guessing. You know, he he betrayed something by going off to to get his warder education and then flaking on his arranged marriage. But I'm assuming he did more than just, you know, the, in some way that was a uh, either that was a, a grievous offense or it was, uh, you know, there's something, some other component to that. Um, you know, for all, you know, he, he uh, what was it? He didn't do the kiss or something. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe that's fatal to the person he didn't do it to. And, Ooh. you know, he feels bad about it. You know, it could be something like that. But this is kind of, I'm just his, I'm guessing his, uh, like, Hey, I'm sorry. Does this help? But he shows up with a thousand pounds of gold, and it's like, well, how can we stay mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do like how the quest even says, "Speak with Grack to learn more," so he can he can get more uh, details on the quest by talking with his companions, which is the thing that video games say happens. So, yeah, yeah. So there's also a a I don't know if this was a quest, but he by he sorry I should clarify what I'm saying uh, June says that he doesn't think there is an earth for him to return to at this point. And he doesn't want to be slapped back into a simulation of the Kansas uh, that he had left. And I, I kind of think that like, he wouldn't, he wouldn't actually mind to be put back into a simulated earth because like he's shown he can live in a simulated world just fine without massive existential issues. And he can treat the people within it as real. And he 
considers himself real, even though he's a simulation. So like, I don't think he'd actually have that big of a problem with going back to a simulated Kansas, to be honest. Well, I think he just hates it there, you know? Uh, oh, 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 okay. So it's not that it's the simulation of Kansas. It's the fact that it's fucking the Kansas that he came from where, where he had destroyed everything. Right. Uh, you know, the fact that he now strongly suspects that it's a simulation just gives him way less incentive to try and get back there. Um, Got it. you know, yeah. he's like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, earth sucked. I, I was prepared not to go back anyway. Now that I think it might not be real, I've got way less incentive. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a sucker for reality. I've got this weird sentiment to meet space. Uh, if, even if my life on earth sucks, I think I'd like to go back once I finished my time on air. Um, but I get why he wouldn't, he didn't like it there. And, uh, like you said, um, he's enjoying stimulation life just fine. So, uh, I, you know, I, this does then bring the question. He says, I wasn't entirely convinced that the game wouldn't end, uh, if he finishes the ultimate quest, which he's assuming is find the lost King. Um, I, yeah. you know, I don't know. I mean, it would sure be a bummer. That's not how it'll work. You know, it won't end when he says like, June, thank you for saving me. And then like, it just ends abruptly. There'll be some cutscene to wrap up the game if that's how it ends maybe there'll be a portal to say look now we can go back to earth if we want or something but yeah i don't know i mean it it's really we don't know what is the goal of the game right um yeah or or the nature of it entirely that's that's a good worry because since he isn't a game like eventually all games get to the game over whether it's because you died or because you beat it and if you beat the game and you're at the end of the game, like, does it just end? Because I kind of assume it just ends. A lot of games, you solve the main conflict and then you can go run around and do whatever you want. Um, That's true. Those open world type games. Yeah. Those, those are really, un- I always find those very unsatisfying because I like my games to have an ending. For me, it depends on the game. Uh, you know, like, and, and most of them, you know, like, uh, for, you know, Skyrim, for example, it's a great place to end if, you're, if you want to be done playing, right? But if you're like, well, hold on, I also want to finish saving, you know, I was going to go help this person. And now I have to either like revert to a previous save where I didn't, you know, save the world or just not do it. Um, I will say my least favorite version of it is uh, what Zelda games do, which they just take you to your save right before you beat the boss. And so you never, you know, I mean, I'm glad it doesn't like make you like take away your ability to keep playing, you know, your leveled up character or whatever. But it's like I would like to once I finish Breath of the Wild, run around Hyrule without Ganon, without the threat of all this nonsense, right? Like, hey, I saved the world. Can I enjoy my saved world? No. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the the other main thing in that game is that while you're running around, you know, whatever, picking flowers and and goofing off, uh, you know, Zelda is in Hyrule Castle fighting Ganondorf for the last hundred years, and so you can't like just guilt free go run around and whatever chase horses and stuff um there's because you know like every second they're out there i mean you know if you're immersed in it like i get to be you know you know that she's in there struggling and so you it's just like it it it, when when you finish it it puts you at the entrance to hyrule castle and you you just basically to just jump off i'm like all right i'm gonna go play over here then good luck zelda i'll be back in a few hours um Mm. that's unsatisfying yeah yeah Um, I, I wonder it the in in this the whole ending kind of thing like right now we're reading a a book about him playing a video game 
And like, we don't know what happens when he gets to the end of the game. Maybe the game just ends. But also, like, to take it up a meta level, when we get to the end of the book, the book just ends too, right? And it's like the same thing as if the game had ended. It's just, it's over. There's nothing more for these people. I mean, I don't know. Does it just kind of, is it preserved forever in a block of time? <laughs> You know, that, it's, that is the that is the beginning to the end of the book or the beginning to the end of the video game. The message of rationality ends after year one, right? It didn't mm-hmm. need continuation fanfics for it to quote not be over for me, right? Like yeah. if I'm if I'm going to go back in, in my mind and entertain that that world of Hogwarts, I can imagine its future. And so it goes on that way, right? Yeah. Um I rarely do that with games. You know, where I'm like, I wonder what would have happened, you know, after this after this moment. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I tend to do that more with stories. Like we talked about last week, there's a good chance I'll be doing that with Berserk, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I, I will think I, I'll think like, I, I hope these things happened. Um, but that's all, that's all we'll get. So, um, yeah, I do wonder some of the really story, strongly story driven games. You can have that like last of us kind of games. Yeah. Um, yeah. One or two both leave that, right? Yeah, you know, in Last of Us, for both games, you get to think like, man, what happens a month later? Um, you know, yeah. what what's the future look like for these people? Because you know, you care about them. They're they're fictional, but you're you're invested. Um, yeah. On on the book level here, I do wonder if the story will end the moment the game ends. You know, because like yeah. if the game ends and you know the DM turns off their laptop, you know, June's dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like everything stops. Um, well, I mean, like I don't know if he's dead necessarily. So this reminds me a lot of um, Greg Egon wrote a a novel named Diaspora. And in it, at one point, um, well, right at the very beginning, we were dealing with um, emulated humans that are running on Computronium, basically. And, you know, they have spaceships that go around the universe to explore uh, the universe with and all, but they don't have meat bodies anymore. They're they're being instantiated on silicon. And uh, eventually, at the end of the book, they discovered this alien species who had done the same thing. And eventually created this massive monument, which takes every single moment in their history and preserves it basically in a solid state drive, right? And so all all the things that have ever been done or thought or felt by their species all exists in a in a solid state. And I'm like, is that is that the same thing? And is that like what these stories are where they actually they do exist, but they exists sort of outside of time in that block. Like I wasn't, I was never able to fully get on board with this is as good an existence as actually being running on the, on the, on the computer, even though it's, it's the equivalent of what you would do if you ran on a computer and saved all the data, saved all the various states as they went through. Like you, but it's, it somehow feels different if they're saved and permanently etched in a, in a monument rather than, continually running and being destroyed and recalculated every millisecond or whatever it is. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really a weird head trip to, to read that. I'm, I'm having a weird head trip processing it. It's like, I, I have the intuition that it matters more and it's more real since it hasn't all happened yet. Right. Like mm-hmm. as long as there's uh, in, in both a book and in my life, as long as there's new words being written, it's somehow more meaningful than once I'm done with the book and I close it. Like, but the words aren't being written. They've already been written. The only thing that's changing is whether you are processing the words. Have you read them yet or not? 
Like, is every time someone picks up a book and reads through it, are they instantiating an instance of that person into existence? Yeah, basically. Or, or those persons in the book? So, yeah. So to, to better fit the metaphor, the, the book is more meaningful when it's being read than when it's sitting on the shelf. Yeah. You know, uh, if, if our universe has a timeless state where it all actually is a big square in fifth dimensional time cube space, um, you know, then it's like, I don't know. I, I, I'm glad I'm, I'm experiencing it uh, linearly rather than all at once from the outside. <laughs> Well, if we do, like you said, instantiate the characters as we're reading the book, then that kind of brings me back to the same conundrum I had from last episode, where if we're reading a book that is filled with pain and suffering for the main characters, are we doing a bad thing by instantiating them in our brains? Luckily, I don't think we're modeling them with enough fidelity to worry about it. <laughs> well, fine, then. You don't have to worry about it. I'll worry about it myself. I, I That's the thing is, I mean, they, they exist in a in a context where... They're, they aren't experiencing stuff. I'm experiencing it for them, right? Yeah. To, to the extent that, you know, June's really hurt after he gets thrown through the wall by the, uh, by the gold mage. He's not in pain. I'm in pain imagining his pain, right? Yeah. You know, if, if uh, um, in the first 10 minutes of the first Last of Us game, his daughter gets killed tragically. I remember I played the game for the first 15 minutes shortly after I got a PlayStation 4. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know this was a crying game. I'm not going to play this right now. I don't feel like it. So I put it down for two and put it down for two or three years. And then I heard the second one was coming out. So uh, I played the first one and then immediately got to start the second one. And I didn't have to wait seven years. Like all the people who played it when it came, when it was released. Um, nice. But, you know, Joel doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't feel bad that his daughter got murdered. He, he, he only exists to the extent that me and to another extent, the developers made him exist. Right. You know, you're that's I guess that's a weird thing, because I, I have the same intuition you do when it comes to video games. I'm like, these aren't real people. Maybe it's just because like books have been such a big part of my life since my early childhood that I have this weird sort of emotional thing about them. I I see what you're saying. I, I I'm trying to think of like um, a good example, you know, like when Harry's wand gets broken in the seventh Harry Potter book. Um, or when Mjolnir gets broken in Ragnarok, you know, like that, that's a, a powerful moment for that character. And I feel it for them, but you know, they don't feel it. They're not real. Like I I'm doing all the feeling for them. And so I can guilt free, not have to worry about the fact that, you know, they're suffering that loss because they're not, I am. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, back here on. on kind of earth, but Arab, um, they, they're trying to think of like, all right, well, you know, since, uh, in, in summary, uh, Fen kind of blames June for the world existing as it is. Um, mm. and, uh, you know, curse his terrible imagination. Um, right. June does rightly point out. And so do you that, you know, he didn't make it on purpose. This is the DM's fault. You know, this, yeah. this isn't, this isn't his guilt trip. The only thing he's guilty of is having a creative imagination. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, this was great too. He's like, all right. Uh, or she says, uh, encyclopedia girl, how many exclusion zones are there? And she's like, okay, that's, that's where I draw the line. You know, Mary, I can live with. She's like, that's where you draw the line. Okay. Uh, what does she say then? Um, 
because it's way too funny for me not to read the whole thing. Uh, very well. Princess Amaryllis Pendrag of, King, of the Kingdom of Anglican, Tenth of Her Name, Slayer of Gold Mages, Drinker of Unicorns, The Immobile Woman. I humbly ask you to tell me how many major exclusion, how many major or minor exclusion zones might be ended by a ragtag group of heroes. None. I'd like bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd like that Fen respected her wishes. Like she makes a joke of it and plays it off for laps by having this ridiculously long title, but she respected her wishes in the end and didn't call her encyclopedia girl anymore. Whereas like someone who was an actual asshole would have just rubbed it in and kept saying encyclopedia girl. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Enci- encyclopedia princess. Um, oh yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, you're right. She makes it a joke, but also by listing all this, she's like, yeah, I haven't forgotten all the badass shit. You know, I, you know, I don't forget you, you slayed a gold mage, a unicorn, and you've got that cool immobile armor. Like, yeah. you know, so, so she does list her accolades and then she wraps it up by saying ragtag group of heroes, which I, you know, brings it back to the the, fear, the funny bit. But uh, when she says bullshit, I'm like, okay, yeah, I I don't think I buy that. Um, but I, I thought that's that's where she was going with this when she's like, hey, Fen, you're, or uh, June, you're responsible for this world. Um, oh, actually, no, I did buy it when she says, no, it's impossible. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Well, I mean, Amaryllis is the expert. And then she goes on to say, no, you know, do you think the international community is so negligent that if, uh, you know, a, a small group or a single person could have done this, that they would have let Felseed sit on his throne of a thousand brides? If there's an option to do otherwise, it's flatly impossible to kill him by any means, not even in theory. And quest accepted. Quest Gone to accepted. sea. Yeah. <laughs> the comedic timing of that was absolutely perfect. Yeah. Like the second she's done saying it's impossible to kill him by any means, even in theory. Congratulations! Here's your quest to go kill this impossible to kill thing. I love it. Yeah, it's again uh, yeah, the, the DM, DM has, a sense, of humor. has a sense of humor. Yep, yep. Yeah, high five uh, on that. But hell yeah! But like you, you pulled out on this that you think, because um, uh, c- okay, what June says immediately is that um, the thing is the quest says you know his weaknesses, and June does not know his weaknesses. Weakness and. We, oh, right. Sorry. His weakness. Yeah. This, this guy's yeah. tough. He's got apparently one weakness. Yes. My money is on C4. <laughs> Why on C4 specifically? Uh, it's big bomb. I mean, maybe nukes, but nukes are excluded. So C4. Okay. Yeah. But John says, June says, I don't know his weakness, which might be a problem because I really don't. <laughs> and like, you think that he's lying to the group, may- may- maybe? Uh, he doesn't say in his head that, um, you know, he actually knew it. So I, I don't think he's just lying to them. It's possible he's lying to himself. Uh, I, the only reason I could kind of think that would be like, he doesn't, he really, really doesn't want to see the consequences of accidentally creating Felseed and like, accept any kind of authorship over it. So he's like yeah. flinching away from the darkness there. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Like it seems to me, this is a very big clue that um, maybe maybe the game is not uh, all all knowing. Like so far up to now, everything it seemed to be all knowing. Like it gives him a quest in from inside Sable. It riffs off of what people around him have said just seconds ago when it gives him quests, um, and like it gives him cowardice when he's acting cowardly. Uh, so it feels like it's reading his mind, but it it apparently thinks that he knows. Felsey's weakness and he just flat out says he doesn't know the weakness and I get the feeling that this is evidence that the game cannot literally read his mind like like a full mind scan kind of thing 
and it has to make inferences and it's fallible. And it thought that he knew his weakness, but he really doesn't. And that really is going to be a problem. Hmm. You know, if, if it turns out to where he actually doesn't know his weakness, then yeah, that will be enormous evidence that the, the DM is not omniscient. Um, I, I suspect he's going to, when it comes time to look at doing this quest, I think he'll be able to sit with his eyes closed and deduce uh, Felseed's weakness without any new information. I think that he does know it, but he doesn't know that he knows it. That could be. So I think... We will have to see him sit down and think about it for a while then. Uh, yeah, and it'll, it'll depend on how it comes up to this, right? But um, I do wonder uh, what it will look like um, when we get there. Uh, if he... I mean, I don't know, like... You, for example, you know that Starbucks doesn't sell plutonium, right? Yes. But yeah. but you didn't, you hadn't put those two thoughts together until I said them. Maybe. Right. Uh, so like. I, I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. So like you, you knew that, but it, but you would have to sit and think about it first until you knew what question to ask. And granted, this wasn't like a problem I gave you to solve or whatever, but it's like, I think he might have all the pieces. He just needs to put them together. Okay. That could be. And if that's the case, I, I kinda, that means that the game that means the DM is super omniscient because it knows thing it knows what he knows even before he knows that he knows it. Right. I'm not sure which is worse because like <laughs> it, if it's super omniscient, then he then I, I guess it's it's good for your god to be super omniscient and not to be making mistakes about what your capabilities are before it sends you on an impossible quest. But on the other hand, if it is fallible, then that means maybe he could pull something over on the game and you know hack his way out of it or do something that the game doesn't actually want him to do it all so i don't know which one it would be better yeah i like you're right they're both bad i do wonder yeah. you know we had another you know un undefeatable horrible monster in another rap fic voldemort right mm-hmm. but it turns out that when you stopped being scared of how hard the problem was like it wasn't even that hard to solve right yeah so it, it could just be this, a similar thing you know impossible to kill is the kind of thing i'd make up about myself if i was a dark lord Right. Yeah. I like his response to learning that he's got the, the gone to seed quest, which is simply fuck. Mm. Um, then, yeah, well, I get the game seems to think I can do it. So uh, then it's like, all right, well, how many exclusion zones can like we plausibly solve? And she's like, mm, thir- Amarillo says 13. Uh, you know, that that sounds like the the kinds of things that if you were as, as awesome as Uther Pendrag that, that you could do. And then boom. Quest accepted. Slayer of Horrors, zero out of 13. And it's like, well, fuck mm. me. Like, mm. the game is just like, hey, no biggie. Knock out 20% of the exclusion zones and I'll give you one of those wirehead orgasms you love so much. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he'll get one for, for each one. Or maybe he'll get him like, you know, he doesn't have to do all 13. He'll gain a level every every 10th one. If he, well, it, every fifth one or maybe, maybe every one because i gotta think ending ending an exclusion zone level threat is a hard thing to do at least as I hard as killing so. a gold mage because a gold mage isn't an exclusion level threat yeah um so i uh you know maybe maybe at 13 he gets a an achievement for whatever doom slayer if he gets that achievement mm. i want five dollars um okay if he gets it specifically for this uh but uh the um you know I, i'm sure i'm sure it comes with bonus xp um and then again, too, it's just she starts listing shit. Um, well, you know, there's uh, the glassy fields that, you know, there's razor sharp glass, which doesn't sound that scary to me, but I'm sure it's very scary 
grass. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's there's there's entads there. Boom. Quest accepted uh, through lashing glass. Um, and it's like, okay, great. Uh, and then she says, hey, you know, there's this boundless pit that the Tung have claimed. I'm basically picturing graboids from Tremors. Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's a it's a bottomless pit, which honestly sounds like a total bummer, but they want to make that their new home because um, this place isn't necessarily a secret and it's not, you know, warded properly. And well, not the whole pit, just a, a like fortress or something that's in the pit somewhere. Yeah, Kum Duna. But, yes. you know, I... I'm hoping it's less like a hobbit hole in a dark pit and more like Moria, but mm-hmm. we'll see. You know, uh, I don't know. A, a permanent home without a, you know, sunshine sounds like a drag, but I guess it you can, does. It has to be some kind of super epic thing. Yeah. And you can always teleport up, you know, up to the surface for your daily dose of vitamin D. But uh, yeah, I don't think the game would give them like just a boring bummer dark pit for a for a uh, <laughs> home base it's gonna give them something fucking awesome i don't know maybe powered by like magma and there's uh, you get all the glowy light off the lava flows through your through your domain you ever play minecraft and have to spend the night in a hole you dug because you didn't build a proper shelter <laughs> i specifically did not play minecraft <laughs> well I, I guess i played it for about 15 minutes and i was like yeah this is not the game for me yeah it's it's uh i never got super into it but it's Granted, you don't get a quest for uh, digging a hole and, and sitting in there all night, but that is one way to spend your, your evenings. Um, well, anyway, it says you can light up. Uh, this place is waiting to light up with activity once more. Kum Duna awaits. Uh, anyway, so they do need to uh, um, still look at the Bonitis. Uh, they're still worried about Larkspur. And we get a wonderful quest for him. The best one. And it's, the setup for it is perfect, too, because Amaryllis is like, look. You know, he's he's going to be after us with the whatever uh, Empire police having us running around like rats afraid of the light. Um, you know, if I if if I in that she hesitates, if I'm ever to have a future at Anglican and then Fen, you're saying we kill him. We figure out a way to lure him somewhere and then slice his stupid head off. Quest accepted. Slice his stupid head off. <laughs> <laughs> lure him, lure him yep. somewhere and then do as the quest title says. It's great. <laughs> I. It's this is uh, and so he's he's concerned like, all right, is the DM like is this scripted text or did the DM is the is the DM writing these on the fly? Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really leaning towards the latter at this point. Yeah, I I'm hoping the latter. Um, it it definitely uh, seems like the kind of thing where a little column A, a little column B. Oh, no, wait, that's the companion thing that I was thinking later. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. So uh Luckily, this chapter comes to an abrupt end because, uh, I don't know, where's their ward? Like half a mile away? Um, Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Drax, uh, spider sense goes off and there's someone coming. So they're like, well, we're not idiots. We're not going to see who it is. Let's get the fuck out of here. And because mm-hmm. they're also not idiots, they have an escape plan. And I'm guessing in under a minute, they're packed and ready to rock and roll. Um, yep. They argue briefly where to go. And they're like, all right, the, uh, I should, what's it called? The ethanaeum uh, of uh, Dream Skewered. I forget what it's called. Secrets and sorcery, maybe something like that. It's awesome. Whatever it is. Uh, It's the dream steward school. Yeah. So, um, it's going to drive me crazy. Speculation and scrutiny. That's what it was. Ah, there we go. Okay. Okay. So boom, they're there. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, so they land on train tracks. They're there. They're actually a hundred miles away from the town, but on, on train tracks that Amaryllis is once driving past the town in. Yeah. Well, within a hundred miles of the town. 
Yeah, so they're 30,000 miles or something away from... Uh, imagine being the people tasked with chasing the Amaryllis down. That'd be so annoying when she can teleport and you can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You've got to or walk all the can, way back. You don't to know the, where the fuck she went. Right. You've got to walk all the way back to the teleportation stone, wait your turn, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. take a stab at somewhere else on the fucking planet to look for her. And it's such a yeah. big planet, too. It's no fair. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so they... Uh, they land and there's somebody standing in a field of flowers waving at them. Anyway, yeah, that's that's the end of this chapter. And don't worry, everybody, we're not lasting all night because, and this isn't sarcasm, not that much happens in chapter 44, which is Marezy Dotes and Dozy Dotes. Hey, I said it right the first time. Nice. Uh, we get some meta commentary about companions uh, as we open up here. Um, in short, he's just I- thinking like there has to be some compatibility slash diversification, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's saying uh, that the reason, as soon as they see the green lady at the tracks, uh, he tells everyone else, hey, chill out, it's it's cool, uh, this is probably our next companion. And so chapter 44 opens with like why he thinks that this is the next companion, and he has a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, because you don't want another companion of the same ilk as you had before. You want to keep, keep it um, mixed up, keep it interesting, so... You want as little repetition as possible, so she's not going to be any of the races that they currently have. And really having something weird and exotic like a green plant person would be, you know, would be pretty cool. Uh, He also assumes that a Companion 4 would have some magic that he does not currently have. And possibly might not ever be able to get, because then it works as, you know, a good complement to his skills. And she does declare herself a flower mage. And And a a druid, which apparently is just an, an extinct species. Yes, an extinct species of like super powerful people. Like they found the last of the, I don't know, crap. Now on my culture fantasy. Well, no, no, but I was trying to draw reference to something else. The last of the Starfighters. I don't know. That's a real <laughs> one and bad one. Anyways, but um, he, yeah, yeah. So she's she does have awesome, powerful magic, and that he doesn't have, and literally can't have because he's not a druid, and he he's not bound to this locus or whatever. And this is the last one. And uh, also, she has a number of very visible magic items, <laughs> which he figured would have to be something that a companion would have so that they would be able to stay on the same power level as the current uh, current company. Yeah, so. I like that. It's like, and that's what happens too in games. Um, and then he's wondering too, like, okay, are there people standing around Arab waiting to be my companion or am I destined mm-hmm. to come across them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's where I think it's a bit of column A, a bit of column B, because that's how quests and all the games I've played have worked. You know, you you have to befriend, um, oh, I forget her name, the vampire chick, if you want to finish the Dawn Guard quest line in Skyrim. But okay. you don't have to befriend, uh, whatever, Mercurio, the mage at the the Bees and Barbs Inn in, uh, shoot, if I had remembered the name of all of that right off the top of my head, I would have given myself a high five. I'll give myself half a star for remembering the name of the bar. Um, he's an optional companion, but but the vampire isn't. Um, anyway, so I'm getting the sense that this one's important. Uh, it's it's funny. Um, so a couple things. Uh, she shows up purple in Grax's glasses, the magic ones, which is the same as all of them. And he's now thinking, okay, I think that means friend. The people of Cranberry Bay were yellow or blue. Um, so that's kind of cool. If this can tell yeah. friend from foe, that is extremely helpful. Uh, oh, yes. I mean, I don't know how it defines that maybe intent to harm or 
how much I can trust them, but that's really cool. So she's purple to glasses. Gone on a year long quest to find you. Yeah. Uh, purple to glasses. And then he's like, and her, she's got, you know, her stick and her, her cloak are magical. And Fen's like, oh, really? The cloak is magic? Because it is like the most obviously magic looking thing he's seen so far. Um, mm-hmm. And I just like this. Uh, June's like, hey, look, dial it back a bit. Grack, thanks for checking. She's like, sorry. The thing you said about me being annoying got to me. And then she calls out, hey, lady, are you particularly annoying? Not really. <laughs> she calls back and it's like, Drat. but it's like <laughs> at that moment, I'm like, okay, she might be a new favorite party member. It's like that. She doesn't, she doesn't bat an eye at it. That's their first interaction with her. Right. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> she's not confirmed as a companion yet. Yes. No, yeah. that's true. Okay. Uh, at this point, June explains how uh, her race, the Cantrick is the race that he like really overcrafted. He put a lot of different, thoughts into their biology and how that'll impact their society and how they interact with uh, the places that they live. And I, that he never got to show off most of it because all he ever got out of it was like one can't trick elder that, that would just regurgitate and she was cut while he was thinking. Uh, and he put all this work into it for basically nothing. And, you know, that's a common thing among uh, people who do world building. Like it always comes up both as jokes and as topics of conversations. I don't know if it's like a bad habit that people should break from because you're wasting all this time and energy on, on things that will never be used at all. And, you know, you can, people often get sucked down these rabbit holes as they call them. And they spend days and days writing stuff uh, on this kind of thing, rather than writing the novel that they should be writing. And that it just feels like a waste, but you know, on the other hand, knowing all this stuff about your world makes it more real. And it can be stuff that lots of times the early writers will like try to force this into a world because they spent all this time on it in school and they want it to be in. And really, you should not force that stuff in. Just leave it out. And it's the stuff that helped you make the world. Like um, J.R.L. Tolkien had the entire Silmarillion. Sil- pronounce it for me? Silmarillion? Silmarillion, I think. Okay. Where like, he has all this ridiculous backstory to his world, but you don't see, well, just anything but the tiniest sliver of it in The Hobbit and then just a little bit more in Lord of the Rings. But the fact that he had that entire world already laid out in his head, like really makes the whole experience richer and deeper. And it feels like maybe, maybe doing that is good because it does give you a richer, deeper world, even if you don't use 99% of it. So I don't know. I, I like that. I mean, it, you know, fleshing out your world in your mind really deeply, again, lets you as the author touch on things wherever you want in a consistent way. Now, if you had to read The Silmarillion to read The Hobbit, that would be a nightmare. Um, yeah. I'm told my brother is the Lord of the Rings scholar, but it's like an encyclopedia. Um, yes. And, you know, okay, it, if you don't like reading real encyclopedias, you probably won't enjoy reading fake ones. Um, maybe it's more fun than that. It probably tells a story, but I don't know. Um, I do like, uh, the, um, the thing about the Cantrek, the species that this, uh, this green chick is, which reminds me, um, she's green. I think her hair is described as Brown, but I'm basically now picturing, uh, Gamora cause mm. you know, uh, Fen got the, the bone lesson from rocket raccoon. They've got Drax on their team. Uh, they, they've got, now they've got a Gamora slash Groot, um, they, they, I, I immediately pictured um, the green lady from the Farscape TV series because she was also green and also a plant and 
would roll around in the sun to get energy I also and orgasms. Have, I also haven't seen that. Oh, it's Farscape is it's got lots of great story in it. And all the characters in it are absolutely fucking awesome, except for the protagonist, which is a problem <laughs> because he's the protagonist. But he is just boring and such a typical just bro kind of person. And it's it's really too awful because everything else about the series is so good. You're like, why? Why is this this splinter of turd right in the middle of it ruining things? I, I think it's worth suffering through him to get everything else in it because it's it is just really delightful. But yeah, you're you're always gonna have to overlook this this just the guy, this turd in a punch bowl in the middle of it. <laughs> what was his name? Or what was the show? Farscape. Farscape. Alright, I'll I'll look into it. Um, all right. So he does point out that for whatever reason, when they meet, her name's Urang Solace, but we get to call her Solace, um, mm-hmm. that she's like way less planty and alien than he had imagined. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of wondering like, why does she look human? Why is she kind of cute? And you put yeah. it for what purpose? I think the purpose is kind of obvious. See, like the game is fucking with his creation. And I, I think you're... Pr- I don't like what you wrote, but you're probably right. Go ahead. And <laughs> what, what did you say is the obvious answer why the game has fucked with his creation to make her look kind of cute? I think it wants every companion to be, in principle, fuckable. But Grack's not fuckable. Uh, he probably is. I, I mean, I guess you could literally stick your dick in him, but then you could do that with anything, right? Well, I mean, if if she was a plant and like reproduced like a plant, um, you know, it, you couldn't... Uh, I mean, there you could you could do sex stuff, but I I'm See? guessing it's it's not merely like physically possible to have sex with them, but also like it, it wants it to be like the game is like no, let's make it attractive, let's make it let's make it fun for you know you to have you know in your party, right? Or let's so, just I make mean, June more uncomfortable one, with more tits to look at. <laughs> on the one hand, I kind of get that because like I always enjoy games like Mass Effect or Dragon Age where you can lay literally anyone in the game. That's always kind of fun, and I try to chase down as many as I can. Okay, it's not literally anyone, but it's it's a lot of the characters. You have a smorgasbord, but uh, but it's fucking with his game. And also, isn't she's she's like old, right? She's in her eighties or something. Uh, she's three hundred something years old, isn't she? Yes, yes. But like, it, it also sounded like she looked kind of like an older person. Oh, I I missed that. I'll have to to check. Um, maybe maybe it didn't. I just got that impression because she has like a staff and she talks like an old person kind of talk so maybe maybe i was i was reading into things that weren't actually there because it does say he's, she's supposed to be kind of cute looking but i don't know i find that annoying that the game is fucking with things just to just to make sexually attractive characters in his party yeah slightly childish features i she talks with the wisdom of somebody in her hundreds but uh she yeah. you know doesn't it yeah her her age is hard to gauge um, and this is where she's like, oh yeah, I'm a druid. And Amaryllis is like, no, you're not. They're, 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 they're extinct. And she's like, uh, very politely. She says, actually I am, you know, it's like, you know, thank you for telling me I don't exist, but behold, I, I stand before you. Um, <laughs> she, yeah. she takes it much more politely than that. And instead she pulls out the, the bottle with the locust in it. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, I might forget to ask later, so I'll have to ask now. I assumed the locust was the grove, the the naturey place. Is the locust mm-hmm. this disgusting deer? Yes. Oh, well, that's weird. I why do you call it a disgusting deer? It's got six eyes. That's 
That's too many eyes. I, I guess it's it's just six eyes, though. It's 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 too many. I it does seem kind of like <laughs> okay. the, the Princess Mononoke thing, which I which yeah. I totally dig. Which is the second Breath of the Wild reference. Um, in wait, Breath of the Wild is a Princess Mononoke thing. It has a similar reference. There's a um, what is it called? The Lord of the Beasts or something? Uh, the Lord of the Mountain. It shows up sometimes. You can see the mountain light up with this beacon of energy. And if you get there fast enough and you don't scare it away, you can sneak up and look at this kind of like ethereal uh, deer looking monster with giant oh, antlers cool. and a bunch of eyes. Um, yeah. And it's got a bunch of like little ghost rabbits near it and stuff. Uh, so it, it's, so it's, it's kind always, of fun. But I always thought the Princess Mononoke nature god thing looked really like majestic and noble. So does Lord of the Mountain. I think it's just when I picture six eyes blinking on something, it just... I don't know. It, it, you know, Mononoke is a cartoon. Breath of the Wild is a pretty, pretty uh, looking cartoon. Cartoonish. If I if I saw a real deer with six eyes, I think I might freak out. So that's I'm picturing everything on air with high fidelity. If I picture it as a cartoon, it's adorable, and I think this could be fun. So okay, I see. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's let's summarize what happens here because, like I said, not a lot, but we we get that. She's been I've waiting really for strongly them. disagree that not a lot happens, but let's go forward. Like you said, sorry. I, a lot happens, but I think it's quick to summarize. Um, okay. Let me know if I leave anything out. So she's been waiting for them for a year. I don't know if she's been standing in this spot or if she was guided to this spot because she can cast a spell, which has some fancy name, but also called the deep searching. It takes a year to so cast. And yeah. if you don't find what you're looking for at the end of it, you die. Um, yeah. So you've got to be like uh, generous I, with what you ask for. I really, really doubt that she was standing here for a year. It seems like the entire process of casting the spell is a year long thing that probably involves an epic journey. And, you know, she ended up at this spot as she finished casting the spell. And lo and behold, these people appear out of nowhere and she's not dead. So she knows that the spell casting worked. Yeah, and so that's how she's so sure that these can be her companions. Yeah, that's fair. It's not like she cast a year ago and then stood around. Um, there was, uh, and tell me if I misread this part too. So uh, her her phrasing was, "I had wished, or I I was looking for someone who, or for someone or some but some group who was uh, willing and someday capable of helping me restore the locus." Um, yes, that that phrasing is so vague. Because they had tried before uh, the remaining druids, and I think she's the last one. Yeah, uh, there might be some in I, the jar. In the jar, now that I think about it, but I, I, I got the impression sure she that she says I'm the last one. Yeah, that, that was my impression too. So I'm assuming that it was actually words that we both read. But um, the uh, also, it's just funny too she, when she proves like, "Hey, you want proof that I'm a druid? Check this out!" And she pulls out the locust that's living in this magic jar and. Ben's just like nice bottle, <laughs> um, but anyway. So it's it's a very non technical answer of how this works because June very geniusly wants to know how it works because he's like, mm-hmm. can I use this to track down the um, the lost king? Can yeah. can Larkspur use it to find us? And yeah. no, it looks like it's a druid explicit spell, and there's one druid left. So looks like uh, a. You probably can't use it to find Arthur and B. Larkspur definitely can't use it to find you. So, yeah, um, I yeah, I, I, I like like the fact that I don't know if I like June has this this thing where he's like, but how does it work? And she says, 
It works differently depending on what you ask for. For people, it searches within hearts and minds and takes its measure of you. Uh, it brought me inexorably to this time and place. And like June is not satisfied with this answer because it doesn't answer the how at all, uh, in his opinion. But like he knows he's running in a sim- on a simulation in a computer. And well, maybe not necessarily in a computer, but he is a simulation. And honestly, this sounds to me just like a ultra powerful Oracle AI that's running. Like she asked this Oracle a question and it goes and does a search searching through the entire world and either comes back with an answer or kills you for asking it. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, you know, that like, I, I, I'm not sure exactly why he's dissatisfied with this answer when he knows that he's running on software and they, it could have some sort of AI search function that just goes through all the people that exist. I think he's unsatisfied with it because it's not, uh, he, he's poking at the cracks of the game and the game is essentially telling him, yeah, I put her here so that she could be in your party. Like it's, it's, it gives some backstory, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, how did he bump into the princess at the, you know, execution site for all these criminals? Well, some vague backstory, but at least there's a causal chain, right? This, this, this explanation is basically because I said so. And, uh, but it's not because he said so. It, it took a year to cast the spell. Well, that's what it says, but this is exactly the kind of bullshit thing you would come across in a video game, or at least everything else <laughs> sounds like it could happen, right? Okay. I mean, so, in a I, world with magic, I don't see why this couldn't happen. I think it, it doesn't have uh, the, like, all right, give me the step-by-step, day-by-day. And maybe she could, um, but but the answer he has so far didn't give him that. So it yeah. it just, it leaves enough holes to where it's like, hold on, this is not a satisfactory explanation. Um, he does say like, you know, after she's like, also, I'm a flower mage. Um, I'd be happy to, you know, lend you my my power if you guys help me do this. I realize you can't do it now. Um, and he's just like, cool, I'll do it. And uh, Amaryllis, Juniper, you cannot unilaterally decide these things, Fen. We're a democracy, damn it. But I vote yes. And you gave June the tiebreaker. So consider another win for democracy. Hmm. Um, and he's he does say like look I want to but you know we can't and she's like oh yeah I totally get it I will hang out with you guys till you guys are able to do it and he gets the quest taking root the world oh this is how he knew the world has but a single druid attending to a single locus with locus so constrained within a magic bottle no more druids may be inducted but removal might prove fatal with your help the druids might stalk the world once more and it's a companion quest huzzah yeah so, so he was right yeah, that, that's companion. Yeah, I mean, it was just, it was too convenient, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, I think she does say, either right before, oh yeah, right after this, that uh, um, this wasn't the first time that this druidic grove tried the the deep searching spell. Um, yeah, and each time they tried it, someone died, and they loosened up the wording a little bit to make it more, you know, more wide of a net, and each time someone dies, and June thinks that they probably lost several people trying to get, um, or maybe she says explicitly that they tried to get a nation involved to help them, and that ended up killing a bunch of druids too. So, yeah, it's this, this, this is their last shot, and she's like, "Well, you're the only possible solution I have, so I'm here for you, even though you look like a bunch of hobos." <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, hey, the 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 magic spell told me you guys were the people, so here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, uh, at, at this point it's basically like, all right, well, let's, uh, um, let's go meet this, this locus. And 
So yeah, the, the the wording was ambiguous, or I was reading too fast. I thought it was like either let's go visit the locus or like the place where I assumed the druid has to go every so often lest it die. Um, but or it's this this deer. So it's apparently this this monster deer, um, which you know I'm kind of curious why it can't just come out. But I'm sure there's a good explanation. Um, I, I also love that. Uh, so the what's her name Solace. He's like, all right, see you inside. And she just jumps in the jar. Um, and then Amaryllis, ah, now that we're alone, we can finally talk. Uh, what is we should be able to talk freely for a moment. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, this doesn't like a trap. So you two hang out here. Me and June will go in. Um, and it's interesting. She says that there are minor exclusion zones that a locust would be able to revive almost entirely. So like apparently some big freaking power that these locusts have. If a single one can just several exclusion zones take care of. Well, that might knock out some of the uh, the difficulty of the, you know, the 13 uh, exclusion zone Doomslayer quest he's got. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I'm assuming it's more like natural disaster places. I, I you know, all right, I, I'm going to have to just explain why I was so anchored on the, the locust being the nature and not the animal. Um, okay. In Wheel of Time... There's a race called the Ogier, which are basically like big orcs, but they're friendly. Uh, and they live in um, environments called, I'm trying to remember what they're called. Uh, I can't remember. Um, anyway, they're, they're these nature areas and they need to go to visit these places. They like feel it in their bones. And if they don't go for long enough, they die. So, and yeah. oh, groves. Yeah. So I, I assumed that this was like a grove and it is. Well, well, the place is a grove. You're saying the locust is this animal. Yes, but like she says something along the lines of the locust is tied to this grove. Right. So the locust is the animal tied to the grove. So the locust in this analogy is the ogier, not not the grove itself. Or no, wait, it's not called a grove in uh, Wheel of Time. It's a uh, fuck. It starts with an S. Uh, steading. There we go. So I figured that you go to... I don't know, some place that is a nuked out wasteland, you throw a steading on it or a grove and it can become, you know, full of life again. But putting a deer on it won't do that unless the deer is super magic. So I thought it was the 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 place, not the animal. Um Well, okay, so Sola says that we placed the locust in this bottle three hundred years ago. So I mean, that could be a refer reference to the, the it being the place. But she does say that the environment inside is self-regulating and the natural home of the locusts. Uh, and I believe that with without me, I believe the land inside will die and the final locust with it. I guess I guess there is some some ambiguity there. But then later on, she says, "Would you like to meet it?" Right at that point, it closed it for me, and that's that's where I got uh, um, confused. Right. So okay, yeah, yeah. But all up until that point, I'm thinking that she's talking about the nature. Uh, inside this jar um and meet it could be like let's go meet the nature um it wasn't until we see the animal we're like oh that thing is the locust and okay. uh, yeah so now it makes sense but that's why i was you know the whole time i kept like so if anyone's reading my notes i don't know if it made any sense because i was so anchored on the locust being the nature not the not the the deer um anyway so there's just a, a great comedic beat um where all right now that she's gone we're, we can speak freely um you two stand guard june and i will go in and uh they're they check and it's like no she's not listed as a companion yet even though he has a companion quest which is weird um mm-hmm. 
And he's like, well, I do know that they can start at negative, uh, negative loyalty. And Grack unabashedly is like, I assume that was me. Fen was planned to betray me. It would have been stupid <laughs> of me not to plan, not to plot against you. And Fen says, oh, it's water over the bridge. And again, she still doesn't know the phrase or she, she just, you know, likes being annoying. Um, mm-hmm. And then Amaryllis goes in and then Fen says, great, now that we're alone, we can talk freely. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't have anything to talk about. So um, June jumps in and as he's falling to his, looks like his imminent demise, he's like, well, shit, maybe I can try that stupid pole vaulting thing with the any blade or I can, you know, ruin more bones or I can. Uh, and so before you can think all those thoughts through, he sprouts freaking nine foot wings that let him soar or not, not quite uh, go up, but he can glide around and it seems really cool. Uh, disappointingly, they vanish when he lands. Um, no. But hey, you got to glide for a second. That seems really fun. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if everyone wants to do that again, you can just jump back into the jar. So I don't know. That's a cool perk. It is. Oh, I mean, you can't. I wonder mm-hmm. if the jar lets you jump past the limit on traveling with the. Uh, um, what do you call just it? pop everyone in the jar and then use the teleportation key. Yeah. I wonder if it would just break the universe if you put everyone in the jar, put the jar in Sable, and then, you know, moved through a ward or something. <laughs> Is you that never put you never put a portable hole inside of a bag of holding. Yeah, I, I can see that causing a black hole or something. Um yeah. It does make me think though, at the top he's thinking about the restriction to party size and this might be it because now they've got five and that's how many can fit on the teleportation device. And they haven't tried the can sable, let us circumvent that. And I was curious if you can use like, do animals count as traveling things or people for the, uh, the teleportation pad? I right. suspect, I guess I don't know. You know, you can, you can, you can teleport things, but can you teleport a herd of cattle or can you only do five at a time? Uh, if it's five at a time, hell, they could just grab a couple of chickens and put them in Sable, teleport, and see if they come out alive. Yeah, um, they should do some science. Yeah, that sounds like or, a safe I mean, way to do that experiment. You know, maybe they already have. I don't know. No, he's 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 specifically unsure at this point. Oh, okay. at the top of the chapter, he's thinking about how big the party can get because our teleporter only works with five people, and they haven't tested the the glove yet. So, um, anyway, uh. Just had to throw that out there because this might be the last party member then. Um, anyway, so he lands next to Amaryllis. His wings are gone. <laughs> and of course, he says, okay, now that we're alone, we can finally speak freely. <laughs> and <laughs> she's not on, in on the joke. Um, and I'm, I I would like to think, but I know he didn't, that as soon as <laughs> June went in the jar, Grack turned to Fen and said, great, now that we're alone, we can speak freely. <laughs> I mean, maybe he did, but then he would have actually had something to say. <laughs> that's That's true. <laughs> If he did, it that wasn't would have a been joke. A fantastic beat. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she's like, "No, you know, assume that everything here can hear everything we say." And he's like, "Oh, that was a joke, but right, you weren't there for the setup." But Amarillo mm-hmm. is savvy, and she's like, "Oh, I get it. She made this. She said the thing. You know, she she just she gets it, but doesn't laugh." And she's like, "Is there anything you did actually want to ask?" And he's like, "No. Well, I guess now that I've already wasted the time and opened the opportunity, tell me about that that glowing necklace you got." Um, and it's a fucking Horcrux. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So it's got a copy of her great grandfather and she can talk with him whenever she wants through that thing. And she says that if she wanted to, she could push her essence into it, which would clear him out and make a copy of her in it instead. I wonder. So it's a copy. It's not her, which is nice. Um, you know, like 
the uh I I beg to differ a, a cop I mean unless it's not a perfect copy. If it's like a leaky shitty copy, then yeah, it's not her. But if she puts a copy of her in there, that's basically the same thing as having her in there. Ah uh, so yeah, let me let me clarify. Uh, I'm thinking in terms of souls. Oh, okay, yeah, no, her soul wouldn't be in there, I don't think. Right. So I you know, I when I when I hear the phrase, oh yeah, my grandfather's in there, or a copy or whatever, I'm like, oh, it's his soul. Um you know, he he horcrux himself into it, but you only get one soul, I'm guessing, on Arab. Uh, yeah. And then, he now lives in there, which is the kind of place you could put the Lost King. The plot thickens. Or at least I should have thought of that more explicitly earlier. I need to write that down. At least I've registered the prediction out loud. Um, yes. So the Lost King could be in a gem like this, at least a copy of him. But if it's not if it's not actually her grandfather in there and it's just a... a I mean... You're right. A a good enough copy is the same thing, but I figured she said she's resistant to do that to put herself in there. Um, I'm guessing because she wants to keep her grandpa around t- for sage advice or something. But if there's other she reasons why she doesn't might... want to do that, like for example, she likes having a soul. Um, then... Well, perhaps one of the reasons you might not want to do that is because you aren't sure that you will always be the holder of the blue necklace, or a friend oh, will damn. always be a holder. Yeah, yeah. Like if someone who hates you and wants to torture you got a copy of that, like, oh great, now I get to be tortured because I was silly and copied myself into this before making sure that no one would ever get this. And like that's her great grandfather. So from what we know of how her family fucks, um, they, they that's been like what two hundred years he's been in there. Yeah, that sounds Probably, about right. You, I mean, in 200 years, a lot can happen to a necklace. It, it'd be hard to secure a, a little piece of jewelry like that. It, it is like an Entad, though. I, so at the very least, it could just be some random asshole that comes across it. But it could presumably be Larkspur. Right. Who would yeah. inherit it if he killed the 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 flesh Amaryllis. He gets the necklace one and he gets to torture it because he's, you know, a sadistic fuck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. All right. I get at least... That makes sense. Yeah, so if it is a perfect fidelity copy, you get to download a backup. That's kind of cool. Maybe you only get to do it once. But if you can restore from backup, this could be where the Lost King is. Hell yeah. Sitting in a fucking necklace in the bottom of a cave, which would be a total drag. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it doesn't like make time go forward for him if uh, if no one's around to wear it or something. That's Yeah, that's sort of what I'm hoping. Otherwise, you know, the grandfather would be insane, right? Um, yeah. There's only so long you can sit there in perfect void with nothing to do before you lose your mind uh mm-hmm. somehow quarrel lasted nine and a half years but uh i'm not convinced he came out with 100 sanity so uh, of course he didn't go in <laughs> with 100 he didn't go in with 100 sanity either uh, yeah anyway he lost half his sanity so he was down from two percent to one percent <laughs> um let's see there was uh um oh yeah you pulled up the thing this is where they talk about the uh um the kingdom bit like why didn't you go to the empire and yeah uh, i was curious about that too it doesn't seem uh her i I don't get her explanation so she says to be you you misunderstand the nature of a locust to be administered by a kingdom might be enough to kill it even if the land it had was large healthy and mostly untouched by the mortal species my locust has been confined this bottle with a single square mile for near on 300 years so i don't like she doesn't give us a lot of details, but what we do know is like maybe to be um maybe it's like one of these nature have free spirit things where it cannot be ruled by anything, like it can't have a king over it or that'll that'll start to kill it and it'll waste away. Yeah. 
I like maybe it has to be wild, untouched wilderness for it to to work as a nature god. And so as soon as you start putting borders around it, it starts withering up. Like they said um, that most of the locusts were killed by the Second Empire. So I assume maybe the Second Empire tried to like draw borders around them and that's how they ended up dying or hunted them for sport slash magic blood or something. Um, well, yeah, you know, if, if killing a unicorn gives you healing powers, maybe killing a locust gives you, I don't know, straight up immortality or God powers. Um, yeah. You know, it, that said, uh, it's it there. There seems to be something about why she didn't just trust the Empire. And you're right. If it is just caging it, you think, you know, she could say, hey, look, you realize if you try and put a fence around this that, you know, it'll die. And so will every druid forever. Right. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, you know, if I. We'll, we'll probably get a good explanation, but for now, the explanation can sufficiently be for me because then this wouldn't be a quest for June, right? Right. This is well. It could also it, this needs to be here for the hero to solve. Yes, and it could also be like since they're if they're in a game, it could be like a game balance thing. Lots of times when you give like insanely powerful magic or or items to players, you put some serious limitations on them that like. You can only use it in these very specific circumstances or you have to pay this extremely high price to do it or something. And so like this is a game balance thing that makes them incredibly powerful, but you can't actually order them around to go and fix the um, the exclusions because then that would kill it or, or something. Yeah, I suppose that is, still doesn't explain the Empire thing. Like yeah. the, the kingdom still could like, all right, fine, we won't use it for exclusion zones, but we'd rather not have the druids extinct. Um yeah. yeah, but it's, you're going to have a hard time telling a kingdom to not have borders drawn. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah, I mean, it could be... I don't know if the deep search lets you get an answer to a question or if it is like you have to find a thing. Um, it could be that they asked, you know, give us somebody in the empire or point us to the right empire uh, representative to help us restore yeah. the grove and that person died, right? Yeah, so it's like, yeah. okay, that's out. Uh, mm. <laughs> I That sounds about right. All right. So um, this is where he says, where's the locust? And she says, behind you. And he turns around and he saw a doe, six feet tall at the shoulder with skin so pale brown that it was nearly white. This is, also looks like the Lord of the Mountain. Uh, mm. And six eyes that were all staring right at me. I think that's what creeped me out. You know, yeah. I guess that's less creepy than them all staring in different directions, but <laughs> I, I, <Derpy> dear. <laughs> I just, I, I guess I can't be happy. You know, I, whatever we've got, we've got this, this deer with, with spider eyes. Um, and, uh, it seems and mostly the, like just a deer, you know, it's got an ear twitching like deer. It's eating grass. Um, yeah. and it's watching possible predators, but then this is the and fun part and good way to end our reading. We were hedging last episode about whether or not to go to 44 or 45. Um, there was some cut discussion about that, but uh, you know, this, this is a, this was an interesting cliffhanger, but not one that left me dissatisfied. The last line of the chapter loyalty increased six eyed doe level zero. Yes. So I'm like, great. This, Which... this horrible, this, this, this monster deer is going to be their next companion. <laughs> I I would like to say that at the very least that gives your that puts the kibosh on your idea that all companions have to be fuckable. You, I was going to make a joke about how I'm sure <laughs> if you're determined enough, but let's 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 not Just, go there and say we. Stephen will go on the record as being okay with fucking a deer. No, Stephen explicitly it. didn't go on that record. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll let the uh, the Discordians talk. Well, it's six feet tall at the shoulder. If you, if you think about where your pelvis is, you'd have to stand on a box. 
<laughs> you, you're you're trying to <laughs> engineer this out, dude. It's All right, not a good sign. If, well, if anyone hasn't seen the the show Silicon Valley, it's a treasure, and everyone should. Um, the end of season one, they crunch some complex numbers because what the guy was like, I'll jerk off every guy at this convention if we can do whatever. I think I don't know, present their project or something, and. Like a few minutes later, someone's like, there's no way you, like they're talking about other stuff. And it's like, you couldn't jerk off everyone <laughs> at this convention. And he's like, yeah, sure. I could, I would have, you know, I'd have to have them line up and it's like, yeah, sure. But then what you're gonna jerk them all off to completion. That's a lot of wasted strokes. And it's like, well, no, one guy would swap in when the other guy, you know, finishes. <laughs> and it's like, well, but think about the naked momentum. Think about the wasted momentum. Okay. Yeah. So you'd want, you'd want people standing tip to tip so that you could just move your arms full up, full down. So this, you know, there's no wasted stroke. Um, Yes. So, so that level of analysis, uh, and they've got it all That's worked great. out on the whiteboard and stuff. Um, and I'm ruining the joke for anyone who watches the episode, but trust me, the show is amazing and everyone should see it. But the 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 problem with trying to fuck a six foot deer is like, I, I believe there was a, a horse fucker who said this. Um, if the horse doesn't want to get fucked, you find out pretty damn quick. That's true. You gotta you gotta romance yeah. this deer pretty good. That's, um, that's right. Bring it some. What what would ears deers like? I guess grass. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Mm. They're, they're, deers are awesome, though, uh, in general, and when they're magic, mystical beasts. I was gonna say I was gonna deliver the punchline of that Silicon Valley thing, but I won't. I'll leave it for everyone to watch. So what? No, give us the, well. Uh, I mean, well, it was already really funny. All right. Well, at, at the end, he's. Uh, I can't remember how it came up, but he's talking with uh, a like a female journalist or something there at this convention. It's a tech convention, and. I can't remember why it comes up and it's not, you know, appropriate, but he said like, you know, do you know, do you know how long it would take you to jerk off everyone in this room? Cause I do. And I can prove it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. So what are we okay. doing next week, bud? I appreciate you indulging next me. We- this was, uh, yeah. this ran on a little bit. It gets late, but we got to record when we can, you know? So if yeah. anyone notices getting crazy at the end, that's why we're getting a little punch drunk after all this time. Um, for next week, we are doing episodes 45 through 48, and those are 45, Keep Magic Weird, 46, The Market of Bone and Blood, 47, At Arm's Length, and 48, Doe or Doe Not, There Is No Try. <laughs> so that's funny. Nope. Okay. That's a pun. All right, audience, vote. Uh, if this is funny, I want one person to at me on like the official vote. We'll get a plus or a minus going on this on Discord. I think that's hilarious, uh, and I'm because it, it involves this deer, no doubt. And I, I think that's that. I'm, I'm still chuckling. All right, so uh, four chapters for next cha- for next episode. Um, and I, I was a little bummed that we didn't because we talked about the chapter episodes last episode. That the next one's called "Keep Magic Weird." You got me hooked. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. So I'm in it. Let's do it. Can't wait. I will say that unfortunately, uh, it's not a good breakpoint it's just there is no good breakpoint for quite a while so we're just gonna have kind of an awkward breakpoint here and then have a a good breakpoint the week after that that's that yeah i mean that's gonna be how it works out i've been in your seat before you know like yeah. you you said that there was no good breakpoint between 44 or 45 and so like this one this one was fine yeah this one's not bad yeah. but the, the the other one is even less not bad hmm well i mean it's not awful it's just you know it's, it's not a good break. So we have to do eight. But, oh, I just hit my microphone stand. Sorry. So we have to do. We do not have to do eight chapters. No. Eight, uh, okay. Well, I, I tried everybody. Um, <laughs> all right. We'll do four. We'll all be tortured for a week and then we'll come back after that. But 
Uh, in the meantime, do throw some money at Alexander Wales on his Patreon. Um, again, this, I, I like saying this is his game. We're just playing it, but also like, this is a lot of fun. And if you guys are having fun listening to us talk about it, you're also having fun reading it. Um, uh, you know, a buck a month, five bucks a month, whatever you can, you know, whatever you feel like it's worth. Um, how much would you spend on a paperback copy of this? Right. How many, how many, how many books would this fill? You said like a dozen. Uh, I forget exactly let's, let's how many words it. it is, but let's say let's a, say a book is about a hundred thousand words. Okay, and this is well over a million, so at least ten. Yeah, all right. So I mean, you know, a, a an old paperback book is what eight bucks. I feel like he's earned a you know a, a not insignificant chunk of change from all of us. I'm thinking by the time we finish this, I'll have paid the cost of what it would pay to to read these. But he works hard on this. This is great. So, um. And as long as I'm shelling uh, for cash, you know, we're also working kind of hard. If you do feel like throwing cash at us, we will take it and we'll give some to him too. So, um, absolutely. Yeah. I got nothing else, man. Uh, cool. I haven't had dinner yet. It's almost 10 o'clock. So, oh, Jesus Christ, dude. Okay. Yeah. Go eat dinner. Oh, I'm, just, um, I'm, complaining, to, I'm complaining to the audience too, just so they know why we're all scattered. So, Stephen is literally starving so that you guys can have some entertainment. You know, when you put it that way, uh, I feel uh, less bad saying, you know, how about a buck? But, um, <laughs> yeah. Frank, you know, we've hit the goal I wanted to hit. Now I get to write a pitch meeting. So I'll get that up for you guys in the next Hell week or yeah. two. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. And uh, yeah, I'll see you next week. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Bye.